Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. What's good, y'all? This is Seas Notified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 41 of Beer and Other Shit, the podcast, adjunct series, quarantine edition. This evening, we have some blokes for you. If you are into sour beer in Ontario, in um, Quebec, or basically in Canada, you know who we're about to speak to. If you don't, then really, do you, do you like sour beer? Do you? Think about it. Look in the mirror. But... It's okay, because you're about to learn this evening. Joining me as guest co-host, once again, we have Noah Forrest from Beerism, Nathan from Nathan Does Beer and BOS, and Sean McVeigh, the god from Small Pony Barrel Works. Round of applause. Let's go, boys. Welcome, 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 welcome. How's everybody doing? Hello. You're good? Everyone good? We're good. We're yeah, good. yourself? Delightful. I am delightful. I am chilling. Sean, thank you for uh, joining us. This is great. This is the second time. I had you back on. It's uh, overdue. Obviously, we would prefer to be out there in Canada, but you know, this is the next best things. Yeah, so, I miss you. I miss it. Uh, oh, we miss you more. Don't you even get me started. <laughs> Look at that beard. That is some COVID growth right there. I love it. You don't give a fuck right now. You just letting it go, eh? It's beautiful. Yeah, that's how you stay warm. <laughs> Ottawa exactly. is, uh, I guess, pretty nippy. You get pretty nippy up there. Um. Yeah, so tonight we're going to be crushing some fantastic beers. We've got a couple of them the same, and then we might go into some different stuff. Uh, depends where the mood takes us. So uh, maybe we start with that, and then we'll uh, we'll get right down to business. So, Shono, tell us about this bad, excuse me, bad boy. Look at that. All right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, tonight we're kind of looking at all of the beers from the Small Pony Twenty Twenty Culture Woo! Club lineup. These are like these exclusive beers that we only make for people in our club, which you guys are members of. So Damn fortunately, right. these were all Ooh, the beers we right. have. <laughs> Very special. Um, so yeah, it's called uh, the Waggle Band. It's got some sweet bees on the label right there. And they're dancing. It's really funny. Our, uh, our, um, we don't often like try to have a theme for all the beers for the year, but... Just by coincidence, we ended up with um, animal, like little critters and animals on the first two beers we did. And so we just carried it through for the rest of the, the year. So as we cross these beers, we'll be that they are, uh, yeah, sort of in that theme. Um, so yeah, this is called the Waggle Dance, which is uh, it's actually named after, if anybody is remembers biology or high school or nature. Remember actually, nature? No, not at all. <laughs> so apparently when bees bees, uh, bees are really good like foragers and gatherers and whenever they uh, come back to the hive from going out and like grabbing pollen from flowers they like they, they communicate where the direction and how far to fly to get to that food source to the rest of the hive by like doing this crazy like figure eight dance and like the number of times they do the eight is like you know the more times they do it the further it is or like they, they do it like the angle from vertical is like the angle from the sun that they're trying to tell the rest of the hive to fly. So it's really neat. It's like a cool wow. navigational thing. But, um, you know, so this is a beer that we made um, that started off. Um, we made a honey beer last year or 2019. So this is primarily a honey beer. So it's a sour beer. It's aged in barrels. But we wanted to do a honey beer slightly differently this year. So we started with the honey for this one. Um, and we put it in like a, 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 a tank and like, 
uh, we made a mead basically, which is a honey wine, right? So um, we put a bunch of honey and water together, let it start fermenting with our house culture. Um, we added a whole bunch of cherry pits that we had left from our cherry beer that we make uh, every summer. Okay. Um, we like cherry pits give it like this nutty kind of like amaretto almond kind of character. Mm-hmm. So we had that honey meat base and then we blended one of our uh, sour beers into it. Um, I can't remember exactly what barrel it was. Some of these barrels. Oh no, it says like four or five different beers recipes. There's Chardon. Oh, we blended a few beers. So it's like a wine beer in there too. So a whole bunch of cool barrels we picked from for this. Um, and uh, we let it blend together and um, we actually used some chonka beans in it too, which like give it like a, like a little bit of a vanilla kick. So like the, the description on the, on the front, I should read it. It's a blend of buckwheat and golden sour beers aged in barrels with local honey, wine grapes, tonka beans, vanilla. Oh, there you go. There's vanilla there too. And cherry uh, noyo, which is cherry. It's, um, so yeah, um, it's, it's really hard to make a honey kind of beer because honey, a lot of the flavor of honey comes from like the sweetness. If you take all the sugar out of a honey, like when you ferment it, you end up with just like this dry thing that smells like honey. Right. So to add a bit of like, honey character back to it, I went to uh, like a health store and bought a bunch of bee pollen. You can buy this. It's like little granules and it's just basically all the Seen pollen it. that bees collect. Yeah. And we, uh, we like uh, steeped that and like added it to the beer and that just amped up that uh, sort of that residual honey uh, character. So this is like probably the most honey beer I've ever had. It's, no uh, it's good fun. That was <laughs> that was going to be my first question because the first thing that I'm noticing is that it really smells like honey a lot, and that's yeah. not something that you get very often when it comes to honey beers. Definitely. Not. Yeah, and the, yeah. the the cherry noyau and the tonka beans. I can't tell where one ends and the other one begins because it really gives that that um, amaretto like craziness. It's it's intense and amazing. Mm. Cheers, boys. Yeah, cheers, guys. Oof. Do you know what? This is probably <laughs> one of the more um, restrained beers of yours, Sean, as far as that like enamel ripping, um, you know, sourness on there. Which is yeah, that, probably. Yeah. Is that intentional? Just because a, uh, since we started, like half of the blend is actually a mead. That mead mm-hmm. wouldn't have been as sour as our beers, so maybe that's part of the reason that we blended. Know, pretty sour beers together with something that wasn't a sour beer to start with. So, mm. but it, yeah, it is definitely not, uh, and it is a bit on the uh, the restrained side in terms of like huge bold flavors and aromas. But like, I like those like delicate things too. And I find that honey, honey is just such a good like uh, palette to pick from there because there's just like you got you can have wildflower honey, buckwheat. Like, there's so many different flavors yeah. that come through depending on where the storage. So I think just using that pollen really like pushed it up to uh, to another level, which is pretty cool. That's the first one. It is, really it, is, is it just uh, me or is it <laughs> We all had questions. Uh, whoever was oh, going first. Geez. No, I go. Uh, I, you want me to go? Yeah. Um, is it just me or is it possible it's a little bit less dry than some of your other stuff, which also maybe accounts for the fact that it doesn't come off with like quite the strong acidity? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so a lot of our beers, they dry out like pretty, pretty, pretty dry, like not a whole lot of sugars left. That's that's partly due to uh, Britannomyces in the beer, which will consume more sugars and like dry out beers a lot. Um, there's also, I don't think we put it on here, but we did add a touch of um, um, a stevia leaf extract to this beer just to like, not enough oh, okay. to make it like sweet and just 
we've done that before in a beer because if we ever add sugar to a beer or honey, like that sweetness just disappears again. So like to yeah. to come across like honey, like we added like we we gave it like a tiny bump with um, with um, stevia. Uh, and that won't ferment. So that's like a natural sweetener that is not fermentable. So it'll add that right. like hint of sweetness. Um, so I think that, that, that could be part of it, but I think the other part is just like the blending it with, uh, um, uh, back with like a less sour beer. So it's just, uh, right. yeah. Um, yeah. One or both of those things maybe. <laughs> I like that. That's a good thing. Just before we get to your question, Nate, a couple quick, uh, comments. Uh, Tiff is saying I like the new look with the social handles. I was just looking at it on the screen behind me and it looks dope. So everyone go make sure you follow everyone on the screen right there. Uh, second, Chad Campbell says, shout out from a fellow Small Pony member. I guess he means the Culture Club. Shout out to you, Chad. Thanks for tuning in, bro. Um, Nate, your question. I'm sorry. This is hilarious because I've never had to <laughs> allocate <laughs> questions before. Fucking hell. Uh, it's all good. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well, what I was going to say is coming back to something Sean said um, a, a minute ago with the fact that, uh, like, like, because this one is a bit less bold and, uh, like, and a bit less tongue-rippingly tart, uh, mm. like, it does come off quite a bit more delicate. It's probably one of the most delicate uh, one of your beers that, that that I think I've had. It's, like, it's quite complex, and you can really pick apart each of those uh individual ingredients like like you know we mentioned the, the like the cherry pits and the tongue beats and what was that giving off um and the uh, like the vanilla is uh, like is coming through a bit as well and i don't want to say it's like, like it's making it taste sweeter but like it is like but it is contributing like kind of like a softness and, and like and even making it a bit yeah. like velvety which is mm-hmm. like which is a very interesting texture to come with uh, like a beer of this style yeah, that's interesting. Find um, vanilla you mentioned vanilla. I forgot that it was even in there. And there's like almost none. We, uh, I believe we actually took some vanilla beans that I had that were, that I've had for years. They're probably worth a thousand dollars for this bag of beans that I have nowadays. But, uh, we, we added them to it. Like, and, and I feel like we've got enough experience now. We've done, I think 49 different beers over the last three years. So like we've, nice. and they're all blended and all these things. So like, you know, when we started off, we did like raspberry or cherry or hops or something. And like, I think, and this is the second honey beer we've done. So I think we just gained a bit more experience in how to blend things. And like, um, going on the delicate side with something like this is great. And I, I want to look at doing more beers like that, that are like, you know, not just like a, like a one note, like bold mm. flavor. Uh, but like, so like we did a couple of, uh, like pie kind of ish beers using vanilla before, or like the time in the space was like, like big cakey vanilla, and like th- those were vanilla for the sake of vanilla. This one was vanilla just because we had some beans and thought that it might add with what Noah said, like just adding that kind of perception of sweetness as well, mm. not to get a vanilla flavor. Because when I when I taste this beer, I don't really get vanilla. I think it just kind of blends in with all the other components there and just kind of yeah. mellows out to like a nice kind of shag carpet kind of base for this beer or something <laughs> like or velour. Let's go I think I was even. I think I was even getting vanilla more on the aroma than on the palate even. <clears throat> yeah. This is and for um, me it's the big almond punch that like cherry yeah. noyau mm-hmm. and then the tonka beans thing. But you do get everything. Maybe the vanilla the least and that for me I like that because I find vanilla sometimes it works really well with sweet beers, but I find sometimes with dry beers, it comes off almost like, even though it's not synthetic, I find sometimes it tastes synthetic, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I get it kind of like almost, 
I don't want to say it's a perfumey beer, but like if I was making like a cologne yeah. or something, like that's that's the kind of blend that it's just like a whole bunch of subtle things all working together. Mm. Yeah, it's wow. lovely. I love it. I really love it. is. It's actually I was gonna say it's the most um when I was about to say drinkable, I hate that word in a way we always joke about it, but because it's that less puckering, I've already found I've already finished half the glass and we've been talking a couple minutes on it. Because it doesn't like it's like when it's the puckering one, I kind of want to take a sip and dries your mouth out a bit and then you're like, Oh, all right, and you kind of recover a bit, and then you go in for more. But this is like you said, more delicate because of the meat and it's like that really nice honey flavors are super delicate and I just feel like it's just like it's going down way too easy. And it's a 7.5 I saw, which I would also say is probably on the higher end of the spectrum for your stuff. That I, oh, um, yeah. I'm just seeing that now. Yeah, and it does not <laughs> taste it. You've hit in that well. Like, this will get I'm you loaded. <laughs> yeah. No, Seven and a half, isn't it? Yeah. That's like on the high side of yeah, yours. That's one of the high I think. Mm. That's just it doesn't me, taste right? Like seven and a half. <laughs> um, was that intentional to come out at seven and a half, or I was just kind of like, oh shit, here it is. I don't think mm. so. Um, I, it's, it's probably because like the honey dried out like sub zero, like it went way dry, so you end up with more alcohol in the beer. I'd have to go look back at our specs, but it's probably just from the honey side of things because none of the barrels we have here are more than like five and a half. Six percent, maybe mm. usually. So that must have come like strictly from the honey okay. in that uh, in that mix. That's dope. So the actual Culture Club program. So this is the second of the four releases. So you do one release a quarter. Um, they can't be purchased. Uh, people buy the because um, I, I don't know if, from, if we talked about it. The first we did a podcast. When was that? Probably third like, year. It's third year. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did one uh, like a, probably about a year ago now. I think. It was like, you know, back in winter last year, I think, maybe. It was, it was a little while ago. On 2019 but, uh, or maybe even 2018. Sorry. And exactly. So, Noah, you're saying this might be the third year you've done this program. I think that was kind of what I was getting yes, to. I think that was the third year. So, we've done 12 beers so far for the Culture Club. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, if you want, I can, I can just explain what the program is. Please. So, it's, yeah, uh, idea. it's, it's uh, something you can sign up for. It's called the Culture Club. Um, it is. Um, uh, it's the program for which we like people who sign up, we make these four beers throughout the year. Um, and the beers are only for people in the culture club. So these aren't available for general release. These are the beers that we're blending a small batch. So if we've got say 150 people in the club, we're only going to make like 300 or 400 bottles of this beer. And, and that's it. Uh, and, um, you know, even in our first year, we did a beer that was probably our most popular beer that we had done. It was the highest rated on untapped was the second beer we did for the culture club back in 2018. And then this year we finally came back and revisited that beer and put it out for general release. That was the time in the space. Um, just because we said, Hey, we're making a blueberry beer or raspberry beer. We actually have the components to make that experimental beer we did for our club back in 2018. So it's kind of like a, a, a it's, it, it's, it's a way for us to kind of like push the boundaries and like spend more money than we normally would spend putting a beer together. Um, because like they're all paid for, already when you sign up so we can we we've got a budget for the year and we can just blow it right and we can try some cool stuff um and they're generally really good um uh and so you get the four releases throughout the year two bottles of each so it's eight beers for the year and then we also like give you like swag like a hoodie or tubes and glasses and yeah. uh 
Uh, you can, if you're out of town, you can also pick free shipping as your swag option. So like throughout the year, we'll actually ship the beer to you. Um, and you know, people who are in the club also get like early access to our other releases. So like the smoothie beer we did in cans that, 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 that was selling out, we've done it a couple times at the tail end of last year. Uh, it was selling out in like three minutes in the morning when we put it for sale. Um, but the people in the culture club as part of their, that contract get access to it in advance. So like some of those people bought up some and they, they could take their time at night and, you know, order them rather than trying to rush through an online store and punching a credit card. So, so that's kind of fun. And uh, the new thing this year is that we are offering also any remaining bottles from previous years that we still have here are, uh, are open to anybody who signs up for 2021. So the culture club is open right now. You can sign up. The cost is uh, $195 uh, and including taxes. So it's, uh, it basically works out to about $20 a bottle and then, like $35 worth of, of swag. Um, but if you were to sign up now, you could also go on our site and pick up all four of these beers from last year. Cause there are still, there's 10 less left of, of one of them and there's 30 of another left. And, you know, so there's, there's still a few cases around the brewery. So uh, only the people in the club are allowed to pick up extra bottles as well from these releases. So if, like I said, if we had to make 300 bottles for the club and we made 400, that means there's a hundred extras that people can pick up if they really, really liked one of the beers some people, you know, buy one or two extras. Um, I know some people have really, really, really liked the beer and like bought a whole case of them. So, uh, so that's those are some of the perks of the club. Um, yeah, hope that explains it. <laughs> yeah, man, I love. That. I was really amped when you brought back uh, when you brought back the time and space because that was uh, one of the first club beers that I tasted back in 2018, and it was and it was one of my favorites as well. So it was uh, it, it was cool that that one made a comeback. Yeah, oh, thanks, that man. was uh, like that. That was one of the ones that I uh, that like I referred to as your uh, like as your dessert sours, and uh, uh, and you've had a couple of more that have fallen into that category since. But uh, but that was that one was a special one. It, it kind of happens that way. So like sometimes we're looking at making a beer and we're thinking like we do like a pie treatment on this beer and just go over the top with it. But then we think like oh no, we still have to make two more Culture Club beers this year. We should save that idea for that, right? So a lot of the beers for the club end up being like, you know, at least half of them end up being kind of like these really desserty kind of out there beers. Um, and we haven't done a whole lot like that for regular release, partly because like I said, we're, we're saving those ideas for the, you know, the special beers we have to make throughout the year. That doesn't mean they might not show up in a, you know, in our, in our online store for everybody next year or something like that. Right. We were even tossing around the idea of taking the time in the space to the LCBO at some time because, uh, Ooh, you know, we've done our dark raspberry beer with them two winters in a row now, and maybe it's time to do something else. So we could always maybe try and do something like that, but I don't know. <laughs> For me, um, of your dessert-like beers, I really, really enjoy. I, I don't know. It's not that I wasn't expecting to enjoy it, but I wasn't expecting it to be one of the favorite my favorite things that you've done and that was the uh the cobbler beer that that peach cobbler yes. thing was is that disassemble man. Reassemble? yeah i really that dug that beer amazing. we call it, it disassemble wild. reassemble it was like yeah we took a we, we used a whole bunch of peach beer like re, like when we made a peach beer that year sometimes these club beers also fell out of other beers that we're working on so like when we make a beer we'll blend in like if it's a fruit we haven't used before we'll like put in way too much of that fruit and then we can decide later, kind of like, can we tone it down 30%? And that's a nice blueberry beer, for example. But sometimes when we're working on these club beers, we just say, well, let's take 200 liters or 100 liters off that tank. 
that's still like way too fruity and we'll use that as one of the parts or the start for one of the club beers. So yeah, they end up usually like often we push them over the top of it. And that, that pie one was great. It was like an over the top peach. Um, we, that was the first time we ever tried using pectin in a beer. So it added a little mouthfeel, um, not quite as far as like the tin of peaches mouthfeel, but like it was a little, little slick. Cause we can, I don't think we can crack it in our beers cause it will ferment out. So that was one idea. We, that was the first time we also tried, I think, sweetening a beer a little with stevia leaf. Um, so, yeah, and the spices, that was I, that was probably the first time we threw a bunch of spices in. So it was, it was a really fun beer. And uh, I really want to come back to that beer sometime because it sold out and there's none left. And it was, uh, it was delicious. <laughs> I got one. Yeah, and left. I mean, you threw, you threw in a bunch of spices, like you said, but you managed to really keep it subtle. Like everything oh, yeah. in that beer was subtle, right? Like, yeah, was spent, it, I think the time four in- days, we spent four days mixing a bit more spice, a bit less, like tasting it with three people. Like it was a long process. <laughs> right. Are a lot of your beers that uh, like that, that process kind of that um, uh, like experimenting with how uh, like with how much you're adding of all uh, like of all of these ingredients uh, like as you go along, like just oh. kind of like you know adding a bit more of something and. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, like especially the club beers where we're adding some of these adjuncts and stuff to it. We do. We don't just say like, "Well, we used this many grams last time" because they're usually in the last time that we've done something like that. So a lot of these beers, it's the first time we're trying something. Um, so we do sit around. We'll we'll, we'll get uh, beer off a couple barrels, mix them together, and then sit down. We'll like steep up some cinnamon, some nutmeg, and we'll have these different teas and like mix and mash them together and try and get the flavors we want. If you ever came to the Blenderama events that we hosted here, that's kind of like how those operate as well. We just get a whole bunch of things out for people to try dropping into glasses of beer and see what flavors kind of emerge. Um, but the one thing we learned, uh, we've learned over the last year or two is that even though you can sit down one day and come up with a mix you like, repeating that on a larger scale is not always exactly uh, it doesn't always exactly come out the way it does. For example, like the uh, the races, uh, fuck racism beer that we did, which yes. was a fundraiser. Like all the proceeds went um, to, to charities in the community. Uh, like we played around with an orange extract until we were super happy with like having like that kind of chocolate orange kind of vibe to it. And then in the tank, a bunch of it volatilized away. So, you know, uh, oh, there was really? so much headspace in the tank for blending it for packaging. Um, so it's like a less orangey beer than we had had planned on, but it still came out good. Um, but this is the thing you'll learn, like we learn, and we'll also learn that, you know, like we thought we had the cinnamon and nutmeg uh, ratios nailed. And then like once it comes out of bottle conditioning or it's sat for two or three months, like one of them might fade a bit faster than the other or something. So you'll end up <laughs> a little out of But again, these, this is the reason we're doing these beers as well is, is, to, is to really try the new things. I love it. Um, Nancy That's Slater really cool. just commented. I know Nancy is, I follow her on Instagram. I know she's a friend of yours, Nate. And she says, former member, couldn't do it this year, but after watching this video, I'm now regretting it. It's like, ooh, <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, Nancy. This uh, this is pretty damn exceptional. So then, okay. Um, yeah. I, go on, Nate. No, I love I, Nancy. I was just going to say, I, I, I actually, uh, I, I owe um, Nancy for, uh, like, for, the, for having uh, – shared her uh her membership with me the, the first year and then we split a membership the second year so it's because of her that i uh, uh like that i tasted the first round of the like of the barrel club and then we like and then we split it last year and then 2020 i got my own <laughs> <laughs> like that's no a great way to do it though like, i know a few people who have said like oh it's a bit expensive but 
like if you have a friend, it's very easy because you're getting two of every beer too, right? So yeah, like, yes. it's perfect for that. And these are the best shareable beers, honestly, among my faves. Uh, Nancy says, "Damn you! I just signed up." <laughs> well done, Nancy. Well done. Well done. I love it, Nancy. All of these beers are still available. We'll um, you yes, you definitely need this. This is crazy. Yeah, I, I really enjoy sharing your stuff, Sean. It's like you can. If I'm not having many other beers that night, I could absolutely easily drink one to myself. But they're like a pleasure to, particularly the ones that are a little more intense as well. They're a little more, uh, they're just perfect for sharing. But that's why you also made the 375s um, for the LCPO, yeah, the single servings. Um, yeah. I, so when we, we did started out, with, you were we did was it. in these like wine, wine size bottles, right? So mm. I, I have, and, and part of that is like the labor required to bottle it. It takes us twice as long to bottle smaller bottles. So they, this was how we started. This is how a lot of these sort of uh, traditional sour beers are packaged because we also bottle condition them. They condition and carbonate well in the bottles of these size. But, you know, it's it's tough to put a beer on the shelf at the store for 15 or $16. Uh, it's way easier to get someone to try something when it's under 10 bucks. So, like, that was the big push towards uh, trying out smaller sizes. I've had feedback from other people, too, like in the club saying, like, Oh, I, you know, I, I don't have anybody to share it with and the bottle's a little too big if you thought about doing the smaller ones. So, like, we're in the process of transitioning, kind of. Like, we're still doing beer in both sizes. But every now and then, when we do a release for the LCBO in the small bottles, we'll have, like, 500 bottles left over and we'll put another beer in those as well. So, on our website, if you were to go to our online shop, you'll find a couple of our beers available in both sizes. So, we're, like, doing that more and more. And as we get our, you know, modernize our sort of packaging uh, set up, which is currently three guys standing in a line doing everything by hand. Uh, <laughs> we can modernize that a little bit and, and unload ourselves. We'll be able to uh, probably move, you know, wholesale to those uh, smaller size bottles, which I think will make people happier. Um, I love it. One suggestion that actually I got from Noah, which could be a merch idea for you if you don't already do them. So Noah obviously drinks a lot of barrel aid stuff and, um, Noah, you told me recently that you just put like a wine stopper in the bottle and it allows you to drink it for the next day. So, yeah, and they're perfect. So Tiff has one um, for her wine and champagne and stuff. So I started doing that if I'm having a big yeah. one. they you, Do you sell small? Yeah, they do. you do sell your own. That's true. And I have yeah, we've got these. We have these champagne All stoppers right. and they're like, they're like under five bucks on our website. And they're, I, when I, that was the other thing when I was selling beers to uh, restaurants if they weren't buying kegs mm. and they were buying bottles, again, the markup that restaurants have on stuff was making them really like pricing them way too high for a lot of people. So I started putting bottle stoppers in for some people and saying like, pour it, pour, treat it like a bottle of wine, you know, pour glass, put it back in the fridge, stopper it with the champagne stopper. You can pour that bottle for two or three. Like I think we told restaurants you could pour a bottle for two days. We did a lot of testing here and said like it will taste 95% of what it did the first rate when you opened it after two days. I keep them in the fridge at home for like a week or two sometimes, but I wouldn't recommend that a restaurant do that if they are selling it to somebody. But, uh, but yeah, so we started doing that too. And that, those are great. Lots of people say like, Oh, cause you can use them on champagne. You can use them on wine. You can use them anything. But yeah, if you do have a wine stopper at home, don't be afraid of big bottles. Yeah, man. I, I definitely picked that up from Noah. And I found that so handy because it may be in a night where I'm like, Oh, I'd love a, like a beer like this. I'm like, Oh, but like Tiff's not drinking. And, uh, I don't know if I can do a whole one, but like, boom, no problem. You got that in there. Um, Nancy just comments. She says, "Always wondered about the bigger bottles. It's a lot for one person, especially when it's a sour." Um, could you speak to why you decided initially to go to the, to the for the large format? 
Yeah, well, that that was just the format. Like before I started the brewery, I visited a whole bunch of other breweries, and this was primarily the size you were finding these beers in. Like if you were to buy Rodenbach or uh, you know Cascade or any of these other beers, you're going to find them in that size, and that's just kind of where what they've always been. Like if you buy any Belgian beers at the beer store, generally they were in big bottles too. So that's just kind of where where we started. Um, there's also just so much space for label art and everything. Like they're they're just so nice to work with, um, but like. Uh, yesterday we bottled our cherry Flanders beer, uh, as you wish. And we started, we did something like 1300 small bottles and that took us like three hours, the three of us. And then we switched to the big bottles to finish off. And we did like 700 big bottles in like an hour. Like it was, it was, it's, it's about twice as fast to do the bigger ones. So, you know, when we're talking about a release for the LCBO where we've got to do up like 400, 500 cases or something, which we're doing next week. That's going to be three days, three like six-hour sessions of us standing around bottling small bottles, which is just we're all we're not young, we're not young and spry. So it's you know it just gets it gets rough on the feet and everything. So we are looking at putting in some uh, like a a bit of a a more modern filling setup. But uh, I have actually you know Bose beer out of Van Cleek Hill. Um, Their original bottle filler is currently sitting at the back of the brewery here. They gifted oh, it to really? when they upgraded, and Castle Brewery had gifted it to me. So it's sitting back here, but it needs a bit of reimagining to get it running. So hopefully, once that happens, we can like shift more into the small bottles. It's it's I've kind of set set it as a winter project for myself to like get that thing running. <laughs> Do your small bottles tend to sell more, or is it just you want to you want to just give the option out there? Yeah, that's, that's not known, uh, Noah. So that was something I asked people, too. I said I, I talked to other brewers, and I said, look, you've moved to smaller bottles. Do you sell at least twice as many of those small bottles as the big bottles? And a lot of people said, uh, not really. People still come in, and they buy one of everything or something like this. But I've heard a, I've heard a couple other theories from other people, like uh, bar and restaurant owners, saying, like, you know, some people will tell you, like, well, I've already got three big bottles in my fridge. I don't need any more big bottles right now. So, like, there's also that side to it. And there's also, yep. like, if you can, you know, you might you might have uh, – people might not buy as many in one stop, but maybe they're coming back twice as often or something. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of like uh, we, don't, we don't quite know what to make of it yet. We've only played around, like, selling the two bottles at the same time at the brewery. And I haven't dug into the numbers to see what's more popular, but – I, I right. suspect we're still selling more of the big bottles, but as soon as you look at something like the LCBO as a retailer or grocery stores or a restaurant, that's where I think it makes sense to have the smaller, the smaller size ones. Cause it's like enough for one person to drink with their meal or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's something we're just learning our way through and, and, and hope to do more, uh, more of the small ones. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. I feel like there's been a trend towards that more, even just with the short cans as well, the same thing, like a lot of, you know, whether it's like people trying to move into, like, I Yeah, know. well, the small cans too, right? You've got breweries who are putting so much hops in their beer that the, the big can would have to sell for six bucks, but then they can sell a smaller mm-hmm. one for four bucks. Like, you know, um, I think Dominion City is a good example where they, they, like, they're doing a lot of expensive beers, so they're just shrinking the package to keep it affordable. Like lots of lots of people are doing that. I thought I saw Shortfinger released an Imperial Stout uh, like today or yesterday, and it, it was a three fifty five, I think. So like that's a nine percent beer with peanut butter and jam and like all, all the good stuff that's expensive. So I, I, that's just a way for everybody to keep things affordable. Also, if it's a small batch size, you can sell it to more people and just get more. Like more people will be able to try it if if you have more 
of a smaller size one, I guess, which is always good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we were actually think... going to. Oh, oh sorry. I was just going to say, like, a, f- a couple of years ago, I probably would have said that there, there's like this. I feel like there was, there's this mentality with large bottles where c- everyday consumers are more willing to spend a bit more money on them because there's like, there's a wine element to it, right? So you walk in, and you're like, oh, I got this big, beautiful bottle here. Mm-hmm. This was fifteen dollars, but whatever. But if you, if you give me a can. And you're charging me like eight, nine bucks for it. And you're just like, oh, this is so expensive, you know. But that said, I feel like that's in the last couple of years shifting. Now that everyone's canning and IPAs are so expensive, I can imagine spending uh, that on a, on a barrel-aged shower is, is, is not quite as daunting as it once was. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just kind of speaking from, you know, people I've talked to, not necessarily like a market research or anything, but... I, I feel like it's it's shifting, so the success of going small might be perfectly fine. Yeah, a lot of people ask when I'm going to do cans, but since we since we do bottle condition everything, like so yeah. that means that we we add a, a bit of sugar and fresh yeast when we bottle the beer, and it's bottled still like a wine. It carbonates in the bottle, like which is the traditional Belgian way of doing things, or even cask ale is done the same way. Um, but doing it in cans is tricky because. You know, now you've got this sediment at the bottom of the can and you, you won't be able to see it until you pour it out. Um, cans are also weaker if they're not carbonated, like so you can't stack them more than like two rows high. They'll crush each other. So there's all kinds of weird like gotchas that happen as, if, as soon as we start talking about doing one of these beers like in a can. So it's not it's not something we've really we've really looked into too, too much. Uh, we've talked about it, but it's, you know, uh, we might do a couple experiments like we did the smoothie beer, but that's a totally different process. And we're totally not outfit, outfitted to do that at all here, which is part of the reason that we can only do a few at a time. But we can talk about that one later. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to talk about it, all right? Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk. <laughs> you guys want to create Oh, I'm jumping out of my seat for that one. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. And I feel like there's still, like, Noah, you make a good point as far as, like, the way that the perception is going with beers. I feel like the first one, we, I, I feel like we might have talked about it with Emily that time, but we would, like, um, 1050 from Oscar Blues was one of the first, you know, big stouts in the can. And it was like, oh, wow, there's a stout, apparently a stout in the can. What's up with this? And then people got used to it. But I feel like one style that has not transitioned to cans is, is the barrel aged sour. It just kind of feels weird. I like the fact that it's a large bottle and a small bottle. I think that's... That does it's, it's the same end, really. Gives people the choice. Um, and I, I think people appreciate that option, particularly when it comes to the, like, specifically barrel aged cells that are, like, as Nancy said, they are, uh, can, can be a lot. You can do them in one night. I imagine all of us will need some tums or something. Maybe you're used to it after this, but um, probably are by now. But yeah, I, I do. I think it's, it, this only makes sense. It's an expensive product. You have hundreds of barrels in there. Last time I was there, you had like one fermenter, one mash. You know, you didn't really have all these places to do it. And you're, you're making it, popping it in barrels, and that's your whole business. So it is, it's just an expensive higher end product. It just is what it is. So, yeah. And unfortunately, there's no way to subsidize that with our other beers because we don't have others. <laughs> Except the smoothies. Smoothies. <laughs> do more smoothies, Sean. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about that. Ooh, well, uh, do you mind if I touch on that for a second? So I think when I came to visit you, unfortunately, the only time was, I don't know, maybe six months after you opened or something like that, and we chatted for a while. Uh, and I, and I, I kind of asked, like, 
And I think what I had interviewed you for one of my articles too, and I think I asked you the same thing, which was, are you ever planning on doing things that aren't necessarily barrel-aged sours? Now, I know you're not going to be going and creating big stouts or whatever, like this is your realm. But I guess I was always curious, like, would you ever do like a kind of like a a clean saison and then blend in 10% of your sour to give it a light tartness or something along those lines? Or uh, is the plan still to continue going down the road that you're going now, but obviously with more experimentation with adjuncts and other things and stuff like that? Yeah, I I, um, I mean, it's not quite set in stone. We're obviously free to do whatever we want, but I, I've tried to hold every, hold ourselves on on sort of on the path we're on, like and keep focused. Um, I like mm-hmm. that we're like we're only doing the one thing, so you know if you see one that it's you know what to expect. Um, uh, it's also something that like we it's it's like a unique uh, you know catchphrase we can use to say like we're Canada's first and only all yeah. sour beer brewery. Is still true. So as soon as I, you know, if I hit the five year mark and we're like successful, I can obviously change things, and I won't need to use that uh, that, uh, that that talking point. Uh, but uh, you know, we're, we're we're trying to stay on sour beers, and we're trying to stay on barrels. Now, if they're all going to be as rippingly sour as they have been in the past, uh, I, I doubt it. Um, we have done a saison before that I put enough hops in it. It was the first saison we did and it just wasn't sour. It did not get sour. Um, and oh. so we ended up blending. Like we, and actually that's the beer that last, last year, well, 2019, we ended up turning into the pineapple beer, uh, Tropical Apocalypse, because the pineapples added the acidity that it was missing. So it wasn't super sour. It was sour enough. It was a saison. We called it a tart saison at that time. Um, so like I would love to do a bit more of that kind of stuff, like have – uh, you know, like a stack in here of barrels that are saisons that we can blend in with other beers that are too sour. Like maybe we we'll want something in the mid range. Like I, I definitely see us doing like a like very sour for those people. Like something that's like middle of the road and something that's less. You know, even pushing the limit of whether it's a sour or not. Like, but if we're using fruit, like the smoothie beer is a bit more sweet than sour. So you know, there's. Yeah. I'd like to play around with all of them, but my you know one of my friends also told me. You know, the name of the brewery is Barrel Works. It doesn't say sour something mm-hmm. there. So really, if you yeah, wanted to do it, it'd still be on brand for what you do, but it would just go against that sort of mantra that we have, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, who knows? I, I even was experimenting with doing a sour seltzer last summer um, because oh, I yeah. wanted to have now into it. Like, you know, everyone was doing these uh, uh, hard seltzers and we wanted to do one that was going to be like using citric acid to like do like the sour candy kind of angle on a seltzer. And, uh, um, we never actually brought it to fruition because the plan was to just bring a couple kegs around to festivals when we, you know, when you're at a festival and you got like three or four beers pouring, it's nice to have something else too, right. Rather than bottling yeah. it and selling it thing. It was just kind of something that we wanted to do for ourselves more than anything. Right. So like, you know, those experiments are always doable, but whether they become products or not, I don't know. <laughs> Sean, was that the stuff that when Tiff and I came, I didn't even remember when it was, the second time we came by and we just hung out for a bit and we were mixing like a seltzer type of beverage in front of us. Was that probably. a soda or a seltzer? It probably was. It was probably the it was probably the seltzer that we started with. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Okay. That shit was great. That was fantastic. Like it was like I remember it was an orange one because you were trying to mimic something else and I think you showed us what you were mimicking. And then you were yeah. like, yeah, if I mix. And you mix it in front. You're like, all right, here's the base. Here's that glass. 
here's a bit of this, here's a bit of this, sprinkle it, and you had the citric acid in like a... Yes, that would have been it then. And you sprinkled yeah, that, that shit in. Okay, that was actually really, really <laughs> impressive. I got actually a couple of questions. Nancy asked a good question. First of all, she said, I never even thought I could put a stopper in it like wine, so now I won't bitch. So that's, that's actually funny. So she's covered now. You just changed her life. And uh, she Buy also... the official small pony one. That's what I'm saying. What is it? A few bucks. You should get one with Sean's face on it. That would be even better. Um, she said, <laughs> "She said this is a good question. She said, what's a combo that you tried that you thought would work and then sadly flopped? Um, we haven't had a lot of failures like that. Um, uh, I mean, we've tried, like for the smoothie beer, we also, we've tried some other like one-off experiments in that. Like last time we canned the smoothie beer, we tried... Like, let's try a different fruit. Let's try a different base beer. Like, so we took, like, jam hands and, like, mixed in some raspberry puree and stuff. And we found that, like, like no, we didn't like how those turned out. Or uh, uh, I'd say, But I'd say the biggest one that comes to mind is probably we did a coffee beer for our club in 2019, I want to say. It was, like, the first beer we released for the Culture Club. And we, we had played around with this idea for, like, almost a year in advance. And we, uh, you know, we played... With uh, took one of our dark beers, Mares in the Night, and we, uh, we we played around with a little coffee. I went over to Equator Coffee Roasters in Almont here, and like Justin, the roaster there, is also like a huge beer nerd. He's a home brewer, and he like I left him a bunch of beer, and he tried all his different beans in it, and um, he came up with a couple ideas, and we came back and like piloted those in like you know a very small like sort of one gallon jug size. And everybody we tasted it with said, oh, that's amazing. That's crazy. It's over the top. It's, you know, good. Uh, but when we went and commercialized that beer for the club and made like 400 bottles of it, um, this ended up being our worst rated beer. Um, but it was really weird. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a beer that it had a ton of five-star reviews if you were on tap and a ton of one-star reviews. So either you loved it or you hated it. And I bet you that's just based on whether you're a coffee nerd or not. Like, cause there was like some Ethiopian roast in there that was like a little more berry. Like there were some weird flavors. Me, I'm not a coffee person, so I, I couldn't speak to it very well, but um, like, I, I like espresso. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, so like all these different kind of coffee flavors were new to me. I wasn't familiar with them, but I trusted mm-hmm. the folks that I was, that I work with and that, you know, friends of mine and they said, Oh yeah, no, these are good. But if you're, if you're a coffee drinker like me, it might not be in your thing. Also the acidity of coffee going into a super acidic beer, it ended up compounding a bit. So I still think that's a cool beer, but I I definitely do get like, uh, I got a few hate emails on that one. Um, Partly the, the lesson I've learned from that coffee brew was if people have signed up for a club in which they are going to be handed four beers for the year, don't go too crazy with those. Don't go too crazy off the beaten path with those beers because you might just end up giving someone something that they said like they would never buy if they had tasted it, right? So that's why this year we did a little more friendly, more fruit forward, more bold, like that kind of thing rather than going a bit weird. So I think we're going to keep things a little in check for that. If that coffee beer had been like just a general release, it probably would have done better, for example. So that's one that comes to mind that, that um, didn't work out in, in one way or another. That's but good. I think you handled it well because I'm not mistaken. You offered to to um, people to exchange it, right? Or if 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 they really disliked it or something. I think I saw that email. Yeah, I emailed the club and I said, uh, "Look, I've got some feedback from some people that they didn't like it. Um, I'm really sorry about that. Um, like, 
I'm happy to exchange those bottles for you. So next time you're by or if you're picking up your next club beers, just tell me you're one of the people that the coffee beer wasn't for you and I will I will we'll give you jam hands or something, like a different beer or uh, extras of a different club release, something like that. So, I, I, you know, I, I tried to smooth it over there, but I think it, I think it may have turned a couple people off of, uh, of, of signing up the next year. So that's, you know, that's just something you learn as you go. Yeah, that's a shame, but yeah, at least exactly. I, I agree. You handed it well. Nancy said, I've got to be honest, I was one of the haters on that one. It's, uh, it's definitely it's a, 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 a <laughs> Not everybody's going to like everything. mean about it, though. Like, there, there are people who don't drink stouts, for example. So, like, if those people are in a beer club and they get a smoked porter, they're just not going to like that either, right? Like, no. I mean, yep. I guess that's what you're signing up for when you sign up for a club. You're kind of taking it whether you like it or not. It's kind of tough shit. Like, that's what you signed up for. Well, we're trying to avoid that, though. <laughs> so mean, now we're trying to keep yeah. that in mind when we're playing with ideas. We're going to basically, like... Do you think everyone will like this, or <laughs> you know, is this a bit? Well, too it was good of you to uh, it was good of you to take it in stride and uh, like and kind of take some takeaways from it. It is on it, like it is unfortunate that um, like that some people were like were really that turned off by it. As Craig was saying, when you sign up for like when you sign up for a club like that, and uh, like and particularly with the style that you do. It's the like it's the kind of thing that like like you're you're you should be accepting that that like that some might not necessarily be your cup of tea because it's a bit more experimental than the, the like than the mainstream ones that you put out. But I mean, that the, the, there's always going to be the, 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 there's always going to be someone who's going to like be be more confident with the <laughs> with their criticisms than uh, yeah. than they maybe ought to be. <laughs> At the same time, I don't want. I, I hope it doesn't stop us from trying to do something that could be awesome, right? Yeah, yeah, like, and that's exactly. Maybe I should put that in the disclaimer up front. Is like, look, if there is a beer that is just like hand by a good chunk of the club, I'm happy to make you happy, right? I'll give you something that you do like, right? So maybe that because I'm going to do that anyways. If someone doesn't like a beer, I'll give them something else. That's fine. But that's right. what any business owner should be doing if people aren't happy, right? So uh, yeah. So it's a good attitude, man. It really is because you don't technically have to. And this is just Nancy's kind of echoing that. She goes, I remember that email and I remember replying that one of the joys of being in the club was getting stuff that not everyone gets. It's exclusive. And that's, once again, you know, you don't technically don't have to, but at the end of the day, you know, you do want to keep people happy. So I get it. Like, if, if it's one like of the funny, a strong response. Yeah. One of the funny things with that beer was that even though it got like five star and one star reviews, there was a lot of. The, the one star reviews were amplified because you could take one bottle and pour like six glasses, and I would see six reviews for that one beer oh, all right. on the same coffee table, all giving it one star. So that was one bottle we yep. sold, six one star reviews or something, right? Yeah. Like, versus someone bought a beer and they really loved it, that would have been one review, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that is one downside of the, uh, the sharing thing on Untapped. Um, another good question here, man. The, the community is coming out tonight. Uh, Christopher Skinner, what up, man? Thank you for joining. He says, late to the party here. Following up on this topic, is there any really outside-the-box sours you've contemplated but just haven't mustered the courage to pull the trigger on? It's a great question. Um, yeah. That's a I, good question. I would say um, we've tried most of the ideas we've had, but we really – there's a couple that we had this year. I don't want to give other people too many ideas, but like uh, – <laughs> do you remember – does anybody remember the Jones sodas? Like yes. that, uh, they, yeah. would do, yeah. uh, they would do like a, a, a holiday, like a Thanksgiving pack, and it would have like turkey, Brussels sprouts, 
cranberry sauce, like something <laughs> potatoes and gravy. Matt, like they did all these crazy flavors, and it was such this crazy cult following that people were like, "Oh my god, the Thanksgiving packs out!" And it was just sold out, like just so people could try these crazy things. They weren't all great, but like people wanted to try them. And we've wanted to do, we've wanted to go in that direction a little, kind of in the fall, like and try and do something with sweet potatoes and beets and like you know like that kind of stuff, which I think could work. I just don't know if it'll work in a sour beer. So it's, you know, it's something we, we could try and, and just decide to throw it down the drain. Um, or, you know, we could try and pile it in a small batch. But uh, that's been one that we've been wanting to try is trying things like that or like carrots as well. Like, but uh, a cucumber beer is also something I've really wanted to approach. There are some good and bad cucumber beers out yeah. there. And I've had those one way or the I other. Really love to revisit some of the great ones and like, I, I, I remember in my mind what they tasted like, and I think we could probably uh, take a stab at doing one of those, like kind of like a sour, cucumbery, not like pickle. Like it's not supposed to taste like vinegar and pickles or something. Like the ones right. I've had were just on the subtle side that you could just smell cucumbers. It, you know, like cucumber water, right? Yeah, it's not, yeah. It like fish, but you get that experience from it. That's kind of the angle I've It's gone. To go. Cucumber's gone good in a few goes, as I can think of. Yeah, same. But maybe that's what about heat? The vinegar. What about what? Have you ever played with heat? Like peppers? Um, I, I haven't played with it personally, um, but I. Uh, this is the fun part. We ho- we used to host this event like twice a year called Blenderama, where like thirty people would come right. into the brewery and we'd set them up with like eight barrels of beer, and they could mix and match whatever they wanted. And at the end of the night, they left with a four pack of the beer that they invented, right? And that was a thing we did. And we 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 always when we bottled them, we bottled five bottles and four of them went out the door and one of them stayed here so we'd have a few cases of these weird uh sometimes weird sometimes great sometimes middle of the road like we ended up with going like every week or so we'd just say like let's open one or two of these and taste and see you know because we had the recipe as well that the person didn't said like what do we think of a beer that had hazelnut extract and this and like it was like six things and heat right and said like oh actually this person (laughs) really sussed out something good from this because you know we'd have some chefs coming in too and stuff like that so it's really good good fun but like there i'd say that we've tasted probably about five spicy that people tried and i think of those five like maybe two were ones that like that, that i think the person got it right otherwise they were kind right. of just like painful <laughs> um so it's it's like it's one of those things that i'd like to try we, i think we just got to find the right season and the right you know the right theme for that beer to like go with heat rather than just going with heat for the sake of heat right like i don't know who wants a dry hot spicy beer i think it would have to be like you know if we were to do like if we could figure out a way to do a good chocolate beer that's maybe when i'd want to try it it's like full aztec kind of lightly spiced chocolate cinnamon kind of one of those kind of kind of numbers but yeah yeah definitely and there's my partner, she lived in Mexico for a while, and I mean, I know you can get them here too. I forget what they're called. I think they're like Mikaela or oh, whatever. Anyway, it's like beer with lime juice, and I think you put pepper, a hot sauce in it or something, but then you like line the rim with a spicy pepper <coughs> as well. So it's like tart because of the lime, and uh, I mean, it's blended with a lager, um, and then you have the, the heat. And it, it's a fun combination. So I've, and I think like lime goes really well with heat to begin with. Yeah. So there you go. Free ideas. 
<laughs> yeah, and like th- there's other things that uh, th- like that work along that vein as well. Like, like even like um, like mango with salt and chili, or like, yeah. like or something like yeah. that. Like there's there's something there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, mango pepper. Yeah, that could work for sure. That's yeah, like a, exactly. I think a Mexican street food, actually. Funnily enough, that yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder. I wonder if a good place for ideas like that would be different hot sauces and looking at sort of the recipes that people because hot sauces are a lot of like not like it's carrot or fruit or peach or mango like as like a bulk of the base but uh and they're also a lot of them are like really vinegar based too which is kind of that sour angle so maybe that's a place to explore like how sour and heat works together and try to draw some ideas from that yeah Yeah. A um, yeah. bunch of more comments. Nancy says, see, that's why you need small bottles. She was referring to the um, the coffee beer. Um, yep. Christopher said those Jones sodas were awesome. And then yeah. uh, Nancy says also, are you saying there's a turducken sour beer in the wings? Oh. <laughs> that- I don't want to spoil the surprise. I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> and she also says, I still have one bottle of mine. She must have done the Blenderama. She said it was delicious lavender and mango. That's a cool yes. combo. Yeah. Lavender, and mango. it was pretty good. She gave me a bottle of that. It was pretty yeah. good. I've had, I swear, I had lavender in something like a couple of nights ago, and I was really impressed with how it kind of blended into the. Like, it doesn't make any sense, like on paper, that you would put lavender in anything but like maybe a, a farmhouse, like a saison or something. But like, I can see lavender and mango being like a real interesting, uh, like that herby, herbaceous, little earthy and grassy mixed with that bright tropical fruit. That's that's pretty cool. Well, I know. Um, like, well, fellas, we're on Earth. an hour in. Should we? Uh, sh- should we be cracking the next beer? To fucking powering through these. What's uh, yeah, like what's half next? on Earth did an amazing chamomile sour, and I wasn't expecting to like it. But it's it's that like, I don't know what it is. It, it's almost kind of like the um, the Tonka beans in this. There's like this component of it that just works so well with the acidity, and you know, it makes you think of when you drink tea with lemon in it or something like that yeah. but yeah that was brilliant i think i remember started that were you describing the the beer that we did that had chamomile in it oh yeah you had, you did one too yeah that was the first honey beer we did which was i believe it was right. yeah, it was a honey beer that we did the first year i think it was a wine beer with honey added and then chamomile and i think maybe there was some beans in there with it but i can't remember exactly it was called uh hive mind and uh, that was oh yeah I remember that. But Camelman Life. Uh, oh, we did uh, we did a, a sour beer for Whitewater Brewery, like in collaboration with them and for them. Yes, like in the first year that was was called Timber Tales. I think I think that was the Camelman beer. It was it dry was. up and it had Camelman in it as well. That was the first beer we had together on the podcast in the last podcast. I remember that specifically. Okay, I'd love to revisit that again. Yeah, yeah, man, that was great. I'm just going to grab the, the other beer. Does anyone else have to run off or everyone else is going nearby? What's, what's next? Uh, Pandematic. <laughs> All right. I'll be back in one sec. Yes. Cool label. Such a dope label. While, um, <laughs> while Craig's running off there, and uh, since, since the name of this one is kind of, like, is kind of topical on that, um, I'll uh, ask a question on that, Sean. Um, we're now like, uh, like nine months in or so that uh, – that we've kind of been dealing with pandemic life. How have, um, how have you been finding that from your business perspective? Like we've chatted about this a couple of times with, uh, with the, like the amount of deliveries you're doing around the city. Um, 
like any, anything else you can talk about on how it's kind of shifted your business model? Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously back in March when we had to kind of shut things, um, breweries were, you know, deemed essential because of reasons. Um, and, uh, so, um, I, we switched immediately that weekend to doing home deliveries. Like just like our, we've had an online store since basically like a couple months after we opened. So early 2018 and, uh, online orders have always been like, you know, just kind of a trickle in the background. Um, most of our sales were usually through the front door or to, you know, a quarter of them to restaurants and maybe a quarter of them through the LCBO or something. But the bulk of it was always here. Um, and of course now with this, the, where people can't come to the brewery and sit down at the We used to have a lot of visitors from out of town on the weekends. That all just kind of stopped. So we lost uh, a huge chunk of our uh, of our retail business here. But at the same time, whenever I'd be driving beer and dropping it off at bars or restaurants or the LCBO, it's too bad I have to pay Canada Post $25 to ship this box to Orlean, which is like on the other side of Ottawa or something, because the person can't come here to get it. I'm already driving around town and I can't like, drop these things off. And it's because no one's home. I can't just leave beer on a porch like where a kid can get it or something. Everything's got it. You got to make sure the people who are receiving these packages are safe, right? So it was kind of the perfect storm for us back in March was everybody, everybody was suddenly at home <laughs> and nobody wanted to go out. And I think a lot of breweries saw this, that, that there was a huge uptick in uh, online orders if you were doing home deliveries. So I said immediately, I said, like, you know, if you buy, say, like, three or four bottles of beer, we're going to drive it to your house. That's no problem at all. So that, that really helped. And I think everybody was super generous in supporting all the local businesses through those early months. Um, but, you know, that, that big boom of online and home delivery sales just kind of petered off in the summer. I think after the May long weekend, it, it dropped. And then once you hit June, it, it fell down a bit more. I've, you know, and I thought, am I doing something wrong? Is it me? But talking to other breweries... Like the, the, the brewing business, as you guys know, is like super friendly. Everybody knows everybody. Um, everybody helps everybody out. So I asked next door at Big Rig and they said, yeah, yeah, we've noticed that too. We used to be doing this many, now we're doing this many. So I think just across the board, everybody, it, it all just kind of slowed down. As I think also as people just got comfortable with going back to the stores, like going to the LCBO or, you know, groceries, outside of just groceries, which were essential, people I think got a little comfort back. But, um, but yeah, we're still doing a bit of that. I think the other big hit we had was um, just restaurants kind of uh, not ordering anymore. I, I can't remember the last time I sent beer to Toronto. Um, uh, and we used to sell a lot of beer in Toronto to restaurants. But just because we, we were selling beer mostly in kegs, I've always been offering bottles to restaurants. But kegs are, you know, they're priced differently to keep the price point down, down on the menu. And you treat it as advertising almost rather than a, than a, than a revenue stream, or at least we do. Um, so with, with the, the, the follow, like I'm sitting right now in front of like 50 or 60 kegs here that are all from last year. Uh, a lot of them one-offs from the year before even that I was saving for festivals. Festivals is the other thing that fell apart this year, right? There right. were no festivals. And it's usually a good way to get out in the summer, meet people. You know, I, I, I think a normal summer I'd be on the road like every week or two um, just visiting different festivals and, and, and sharing beer with people. Um, so, yeah, it, it, like – I don't know. I haven't looked at it. The sales may be flat or a bit down this year, but given the, the loss of a couple of chunks of, of revenue there, like the home, the home delivery and the online uh, component of it has really, really helped us out. So like, thank you to everybody in Ottawa and around Ontario who has been uh, supporting the brewery and, and their local breweries and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I love it. Um, someone asked here, Ben Wadda said, do you guys enjoy your sour beers with high tides? I'm not sure if that's a troll, but yes, I guess we all do. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I do, obviously. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of different sour beers out there. Like the traditional Belgian Lambic and Goose beers are, are extremely sour. Rodenbach is a pasteurized Flanders red, so it's on the sweet side. Um, but my favorites were always the ones that came from like the Rare Barrel or Cascade in the States. Um because they were just like cleanly sour, like not not like over encumbered with too much oak or too too malty or this or that. So we've always kind of gone for that. They might some of them might be quite sour, but they're they're at least like crisp that way. You know, they're dry. Um, you know, obviously it's not for everybody, and that's that's why there's a lot of beers out there. Um, I think a lot of the kettle sours are coming off that way. They're, they're just like mildly sour. People are saying it's a sour beer, and it and it might be, but it's not like what you would traditionally consider like an old world or even American sour beer um, at times. Okay. Can we nerd out for a second? Um, But maybe if you could try and answer this question in a way that people could understand it, uh, including myself, because I don't know a lot about chemistry or whatever. So you have, you have lambics, right? What makes lambic special is obviously the fact that it has to be brewed in one small region in Belgium. But what, you know, there are flavor profiles that are brewed elsewhere beyond Belgium that kind of are similar to Lambic in the sense that there is a real, like, flora smell to them, right? There's there's a huge funk, like a barrel, um, uh, like a farmhouse, you know, horse, when people talk about horse blanket, they talk about this kind of stuff. But American-style uh, sours, I guess what I call them, and similar to what you're doing, or you're talking about rare barrel, you're talking about Cascade, um, the acidity is is more at the front, and there's far less of a uh, like a pheno- like a, a wild yeast phenolic presence that's going to give off that er- crazy earthiness and, and all that that those smells that you typically get out of uh, wild beers or or lambic. Um, what makes your beers not have that profile? I'm, I'm guessing it's intentional. Um, and like, what's what's the difference? Like, what it, like? Besides the fact okay. that Lambic is blended in a particular profile. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you're, so if you're talking about like a traditional Belgian Lambic beer, like a, a Dreyfontaine or a Campion, hmm. or, you know, some of these beers, you're, you're, you're looking at a, a, you know, primarily a wild beer, right? They're not itching a, a, a yeast culture. Um, so you're, you are That's leaving some stuff up to as well. As you're doing those wild open ferments, like the yeasts and bacteria from the atmosphere just kind of fall in the beers, and there are a lot of off flavors that happen up front in those beers, right? They, they can be garbage, garbagey, uh, butyric, which is vomity. There's lots of bad flavors in those young beers, and you've just got to sit them out. You've got to wait like, you know, a year, nine months, uh, sometimes a couple of years for those to just clean up. And, and a lot of those off flavors just kind of turn into... Uh, different flavors. So like the, the example I always bring up is butyric acid, uh, which is a flaw in beer, um, is like a baby vomit kind of nasty acid. Um, but when it is metabolized by wild yeast, the uh, Britannomyces, which is the primary wild yeast that we find in these beers, um, it, it, it is biotransformed into, uh, or it's esterified into, if you remember your chemistry, an ester is an alcohol, uh, wait, uh, Anyways, it's, it's an acid and an alcohol that have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, combined and, and to produce an ester. So butyric acid and alcohol becomes ethyl butyrate, which is pineapple in, in aroma and flavor. Like it, 
So you're going from right. baby vomit to pineapple by just waiting longer. So um, I think some of the flavors that you're describing, like there's a whole lot more wild flavors in some of those beers, are just due to that early process and like some compounds that get generated that don't get cleaned up. And, and definitely a lot of those breweries are being selective in the barrels that they keep, right? So um, right. You know, I talked to some breweries who said their waste was as high as 20% because they're throwing out one in five barrels because it's not, or one in five batches because they're just not, you know, generating the flavor profile they want. We did a wild beer uh, back in 2018, and uh, we called it a Lonely Forest when it was done. We only made two barrels of that beer. All the beer sold, so it's gone. But the next year we tried again. I doubled the size of it so we would have more, and we could start blending previous years together. But that beer ended up going down the drain, all four barrels down the drain. We didn't like it. After a year and a half, it, uh, it, it stalled out. It didn't ferment at the beginning, so... It, it, it had like some off flavors we didn't like it. Yeah, anyways, it wasn't worth trying to coax it into being nice. It was better to just start a new beer and give it another year and wait, like take bad beer out, put good beer in. Like that's kind of what you got to follow when you're doing this. It's always tough to say like we got to dump eight barrels this month, um, which happened at one point last year. But at the same time, now we can brew a batch, an eight barrel batch of beer that will be good beer in nine months. Right. So mm. Um, you got to be a bit choosy on these things sometimes. Um, now, and the other part of your question, though, was like some of the American sour beers being more clean. I think it's partly just due to the wild nature of some of those other beers. Um, but the other component that, that I think you get in those funky uh, Lambic beers would be uh, the fact that they use a lot of aged hops, like large volumes of hops that yeah. have been aged. Sure. For, like, so hops are what give beer its bitterness. And um, we don't use very many hops in our beer because bitterness is like the enemy of sourness. Like hops will inhibit the souring bacteria in the beer. So we're like brewing our beers at like one or two IBUs, like not, not high at all. Um, whereas in Belgium, you'd be, so we're throwing in like a, a cup of, you know, like, you know, like a, a, a measuring cup worth of hops into our beer or like a handful. It's not very much, but if you go over to Belgium and they have hops where the bitterness has been like removed from the hops through aging, they can actually throw pounds and pounds of hops into a beer. And that just like the flavors from the hops, the same way New England IPAs biotransform hop compounds, I believe, Britannomyces will work over time on those those aged hop compounds, and you'll get some of those horse blankety, funky flavors. So it turned. It, it, the research is kind of pointing to the fact that, uh, and Richard Priest from Escarpment Labs uh, is is an advocate of this kind of re sort of that funky uh, profile that you get from the lambic beers isn't necessarily just from uh, the fact that they're using Britannomyces in those beers, the wild yeast. It's that that in combination with these aged hops is really one of the key components of that that kind of flavor that you get. So we're not really playing around with that as much right now. Um, we've started using it a bit, but it's going to be like a year before okay. we know how those flavors are evolving. So I'd obviously like to try and do some beers like that. And then if they're too funky or too this or too that, like that's the, the beauty of having all these barrels is like we can mix one with three of them or two to one or half and half and we can exactly we can just kind of knock on flavors that we want and we can learn and we can follow in the future but it's just kind of like an ongoing experiment here <laughs> no that's dope nancy just said here it took me forever this is just touching on the last thing it took me forever to find my palate for sours but i kept trying i'm so glad i did expand in my beer world and i think that's probably one of the the thing probably a challenge that you would have shown as far as like exclusively making um, sour beers that 
there's some people who just oh no no I don't like sour beers like same as oh I don't like anything hoppy or whatever that people have these preconceptions of craft beer and what what these things are from other things that they've tasted over the over time. How have you been able to get people across that line to maybe even you know to try beers? I imagine they probably wouldn't even walk through the doors unless they were already interested for the most part. But you'd probably be able to have those opportunities at festivals. LCBO tastings and things like that. So I'd be I'd be curious how you get people to try it. Yeah, I'd say festivals are the biggest one. Um, when you're at a festival and everyone's at a beer festival for three beers, um, a lot of people are very surprised when they taste the sour beers. So that's that's the best way to just kind of approach a whole bunch of people at once. Uh, another, uh, you know, the sour beers have a lot of the same flavor profile as like wines and cider. So that's another thing too is like, and I don't know quite how to do this, but really tap into that market. Like, not that, that, but that audience. Like, go down to Niagara, participate in the beer festivals in Niagara, um, meet the wine, like, if go to a wine show or, or you know, try to meet up with uh, sommeliers and, you know, see if they want to want to carry a bottle or do a tasting just for that. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's not something we've really done a lot. I, I'm very bad at marketing the brewery. Um, the name of the brewery doesn't even have beer or brewery in the name, so we've got a real problem. People drive past here all the time and have no idea what the place is. Like, I have people pop their head in the door every now and then and just go, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so maybe in the summer, we had a video outside, so we, we, we had a banner made up that had the barrel-aged sour beer slogan across the patio out front of the brewery. So then I think we, we got a, a few more people popping in this summer to just say like, oh, I like sour beers and I have no idea you were here. Lots of people say, I have no idea you were in Ottawa or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you get people to try sour beers. Hey, well, it's a never ending quest. Did we talk about this beer at all? Like, I know. No, we didn't. Not yet. No, we haven't yet. Tell us about it. All right, I'm going to read about it for a moment here. This was the third beer we released last year for the club. It's called Pandemetic, for obvious reasons, in a pandemic. That was our critter uh, that That's we came cool. up with. Um, i got to say as well, a shout-out to Lada Larsby in, uh, in Sweden, who does all of our artwork. It's the sister of a friend of mine that I've met in Sweden. Um, so, yeah, she does great stuff. Um, she does. The, the goal for this beer when we started blending this was just like aim for like fruit punch and uh, like, like not just fruit punch, but also like sangria. Yeah. So if you're noticing, it's kind of flat. It's not highly carved like our other beers. Oh, that um, was intentional. I thought I had a bad bottle or something. No, you don't have a bad bottle. And I've answered that question to a few people. They are all like this. Okay. Um, okay. Not necessarily set out to do that. Wink, wink. Uh, but... <laughs> Yes, you did. The fact, that this was, <laughs> the fact that this beer was blended from, like, um, uh, it's golden and buckwheat beers. Like, like, we were really trying to aim, like, we had cherry, we had apricot, orange, peach. Like, there was, oh, geez, what is it? It's cherry, apricot, orange, peach, and cherry pits. Yeah. Um, we just said, like, we like where these flavors are going. It re- it reminds me of a sangria. Like it reminds me of taking all those fruit punch fruits mm. and putting them into a big bowl of wine. <laughs> right. So the fact that it came out this way was fine with me. The only other time we've had a beer that refused to carbonate on us was another wine beer. So that was the story then too. So I'm not, 
I'm not too sure what what happened with this one. It may carbonate over time, but we've tried that. But I think it's kind of like a seren, serendipitous, uh, um, you know, fact about this this beer is that it is like it emulates sangria even in that respect. Which it's funny because that actually matches how we blended and tasted it. Right. So as we're sitting around mixing all these flavors together and tasting it and trying another one and trying another one for a few days, um, like this beer actually really represents what we came up with on at the day, which is and then when you bottle it and it carbonates, it's totally you know, it can often be totally different. Like some of the aromatics come to the front because they're being, you know, launched out of the beer into your nose, right? No, I love that. What if I put it in the soda stream? It comes. Ooh, yeah, you might be able to do that. <laughs> be careful though. Be careful. Soda stream doesn't work so good with beers. Uh, you gotta, you gotta go slow. <laughs> oh yeah, otherwise it just overflows. Okay, I never tried it before. You have to use water. You can't use anything but water. No. Oh, you know what? Well, you just gotta pull this stuff into. I know, I know some other brewers who have done it too, right? You can, you can load some beer into one of the soda stream bottles and just give it a little burst, and it just foams up. And then if you wait like 10 minutes, it'll settle down and you can just kind of repeat a few times. You just got to do it in a sink. But it, it eventually works and you put it back in the fridge, keep it cold, get it out again, give it another bump. Oh, that's so you might be taking an hour. Definitely yeah, faster yeah. than waiting a month. I'll just, I'll just drink it. How That's okay. I thought that was might've been like a quick, uh, quick thing. Okay. That's interesting though. All right. So is this, did it come out how you imagined as far as like, I mean the flavor profiles of this are crazy. When I read the back of the bottle, I was like, fuck, sangria, exactly. My God, this is, I love sangria. We, we make it a lot and well, in the summer. And um, I'm definitely getting sangria vibes from this. This is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's also misleading on the nose. It's awesome because you stick your nose in there and, and you're first hit mostly with orange and apricot and peach. But then when you look at it, it's such, it's such that, that deep red. Yeah. I feel like yeah, it's it, it, if it I, I was thinking this blind, I would not pick out the red color in this at all. Probably not. It does confuse the senses a bit uh, because like one of the things that I'm getting on the nose more than anything is the peach and it oh, immediately yeah. made me think of yeah. disassemble reassemble with the, uh, like with how the peach is coming through and oh, and then idea. yeah like, like uh, you you get you get some of the cherry pit in there as well but because of how much the peach comes through it's very, like it's very kind of confusing to the senses to see this bright red thing in like in contrast with the aroma. Yeah. It, but, it, but, like, like but then it all comes together on the palate. Cherry pits. And I know that I, I don't remember putting cherry pits in it. It's on the label. And the reason that is, is because part of this beer was blended using kegs from They Go Up, which I believe I believe those were the kegs we used for. We had some spare kegs after, you know, everything closed down. And uh, we said, well, rather than getting more cherries and starting over, let's take the beer we made last year. So it's like well-aged and everything. Let's take some of that and use it as like, you know, a, a portion of the blend. So that beer was already aged on the cherry pits and everything, but it was then cut back with, I believe it says a buckwheat beer. So, um, you know, so we, we, we did dive into the egg cellar a bit for this one as well before going, going for all the flavors. It's, it's yeah, man. It's, nice. it's, a, it's a really cool blend of fruits too. Like it's super yeah. fun. Like Different. there's so like, I like that. I think that's a really good point. If you if you did this blind, you wouldn't have picked it as red because now, Nate, you mentioned that peach. I'm like, yeah, this is all peach on the nose. Like, this is crazy. And I feel like you can identify all of the fruits in this, which is also what happened with the last one. And I think that that, that would, I would imagine that's a sign of a, 
well-formed beer right there that if you're able to uh, stir up some drinks real fast because it's not carbonated so that's that's another fun part about it you can just chug it it's like just <laughs> juicy um nancy just said here she's like so not only did i sign up for the new culture club but i also bought all four bottles from last year cheers good that a girl. Oh, look at that <laughs> what a champion there you go you're getting your value like you took your time out on a friday night show and there you go mate what Nancy's a, a great boost for us too. I love Nancy. Nancy's yeah, great. Nancy is a Nancy's great. Nancy's a radio personality herself. So like I know she has uh, posted on Twitter before about really loving our beers. So big thanks to Nancy, and we will uh, we will make sure to make it worth your while. I'll make sure you get those bottle stoppers that you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> and now, oh, now she doesn't have to worry about anything anymore. Hey, Craig, we lost your video. Yeah. It's okay. The, the battery died. I just swapped it out. Oh, that is so much quicker than when we were doing it with Skype. Oh, it's, now it's just a black square. It'll be back in a second. Look at that. It's okay. At least we can still hear you. <laughs> there, right? That's good. It doesn't cut out. I'm learning. For people who know, we, I'm using the same software, but a different version of it. We would normally connect through Skype. And now we're connecting internally through this software. So it's working different. And uh, the boys are our, uh, my guinea pigs on this one. So, uh, and I don't know if this looks the same for everyone else, but right now I've got the BAOS podcast tag under my face and the Nathan yep. does beer tag under Noah's face. <laughs> yes, I imagine that's going to fix up. <laughs> I would hope that's going to fix up in a second because basically, when I've got a, uh, a DSLR plugged into this, so when the battery dies on that camera, um, I replace it and then it takes like 30 seconds to kind of kick back in. So I imagine it'll just kind of fix itself. If it doesn't, I'll remove everybody and put them all back in, but at least we can keep talking and it doesn't make a difference. Um, so, yeah, so this was the third beer that you released on, in the Culture Club. Um, and was there anything, like this was, did you take this one from anything else or this was like a straight up, uh, like this was a, a unique product in and of itself that wasn't sort of blended with any other past ones or whatever oh yeah it was a, it was a it was a, a brand new idea just trying to do like basically fruit punch in a sour beer um uh i, I can't remember where the idea sort of came from uh, of course like we start we usually start making these beers for the club in the spring like we we'd like to take a little bit of a break through the first month or two in the winter and then we get to Hard, hard, hard at work on making these beers. So the first one usually doesn't come out till like May or June. But then, often we find ourselves scrambling once once we're in October and we're like, crap, we don't have the last two beers ready yet, and they take a month to bottle and condition and labels and artwork and everything. So like, uh, I think we were we were scratching our heads for a long time through the summer trying to figure out. What, and also the fact that like staff wasn't around. I was operating the brewery by myself in the spring, and then you know came back, and then the rest of the team didn't return until around, I think Canada day. So like we were just kind of flying on whatever we had here for a while. But, you know, once the team was back assembled after you know July, we really started to focus down again. But um, I feel like we, we played around with these beer, beer ideas for like a good month before we finally settled on, on one that we were confident in. So. Yeah. It's great. I love it. No, these. Uh, so, as far as the 2021 um, culture club, can you speak to what's coming, or is that usually a bit of a like on the low for now, or are you still figuring it out? Probably? 
Yeah, we. It's it's a very seat of the pants operation uh, when it comes time to start blending these. So no, we don't. We we have like a sort of a grab bag. We always have an idea, a, a list of ideas for beers that we'd like to get around to, uh, and it's it'll be good to just kind of revisit that list and try to pick out some favorites. Um, um, you know, also seeing what other people are doing in in, in the, the beer world, like trying beers from other breweries to see like what are other people doing and like what parts of those beers do we like and. You know, like, so, like, for example, I want to say the uh, the Pineapple Beer Tropical Apocalypse that we did. Really love that beer. Super pineapple That came, that, that idea came about because of a beer that Blood Brothers made, which was, I can't remember what it was called, but it was carrot, mango, and pineapple beer, I think. And it was just, like, opaque orange. Uh, but the pineapple flavors were so great that we were like, this is what we need to use in that beer that's not sour, is pineapple, because this will work. And I asked Patrick, like, how much pineapple did you use in that beer? And he said, oh, I think it's like 10% or something. And I said, okay, okay, cool. When we put 25% pineapple in our beer or something like that. So it was Holy like over shit. The top. That's awesome. Expensive. I think uh, that was one of their really out there uh, Paradise Lost uh, versions. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was like my favorite beer that year, I think. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Nancy also, Nancy's like running the show tonight. I'm loving this. She's like, oh, you're so sweet, Sean, but I already ordered a stopper as well. Oh, well, there's a refund button and I'm going to make use of it. <laughs> uh, look at you. What a champion. And she said, can Sean talk about the art on his labels? Uh, I mean, you touched yes. on it briefly in the, uh, when we're talking about, so your friend's sister in Sweden is the one who makes them. Um, yeah, I guess just maybe speak to sort of the, the history of all of that and sort of how, how that relationship came about and such. Yeah, how that came about, I, I, I met a bunch of guys from Sweden that uh, I used to work in high tech. I used to work at like a QNX and BlackBerry. So I would travel around to like some uh, developer events that we would host uh, like over in Asia or Europe or what have you or in the States. And the team that worked in Sweden would come over too. And I met all these great guys from Sweden and really got along well. And then when it was time to go over to Sweden to do some work, um, you know, really you know, got to be, um, you know, got to really like those guys and become, you know, friends with a couple of them. And uh, when it was time to work on putting a brewery together and leaving the logo on this, that, all those guys in Sweden were designers. They were all, every, and as far as I'm concerned, everyone in Sweden has, has some sort of eye for design, you know, like just the cities I would go to had like a design museum or Ikea comes from, you know, like there's, it's such a cool thing that I reached out to all these guys and one of them said, uh, oh, my sister has a design company you should talk to her. So that's kind of where that all came from was that I talked to her and she said, Oh yeah, for sure. Here, what do you think of like art like this or something? And I said, this is awesome. This is perfect. So I've been having her uh, do the bulk of the, the label artwork since, uh, you know, 2016, 2017, when we started doing designs, um, Robin, who works uh, with us here as our sort of lab tech and uh, tap room person uh, has done the art for a couple of them as well. Um, but uh, I'd say like 95, like, you know, I think Robin did like three or three of them, maybe or three or four of them. But uh, yeah, it, it basically comes out of Sweden there from this, uh, this girl who really does nice work. Um, but, uh, and I've had people say like, I really love the names of your beers. Uh, how do you come up with those? And it's the worst process ever. Um, just in case anybody thinks there's like a lot that goes into this. It's usually like, uh, the day before we need a label order to be put together and we're like, crap, what do we call this? I have to get 
lauded to do artwork and we need the art by Wednesday and that because it's got to go to the label company and we need the labels in the next weeks. Um, so it's like always a scramble and inevitably something funny pops up in these conversations or just enough drinking tosses something on out of our conversations. And uh, we're like, okay, let's go with that name. And, and whenever we're sitting around and said that, that would be a great name for a beer, we put it in a list. So there's like a big list as well. But uh, I always find it funny when she comes back with art or something like, if you call a beer like, uh, I'm trying to come up with a good example. Yeah, like difficulty level 2020 and you get back like uh, a sort of a Tyrannosaurus character trying to brush his teeth with a toothbrush with his tiny arms. Like, <laughs> that was hilarious. I'm like, can you, like, or the, the waggle dance, not waggle dance, but there was one waggle dance I said, like, can you make us some, like, cool steampunk bees or something? Like, maybe give them aviator goggles or something, like, you know, leather cap. But uh, the first year we did that wine beer, uh, the honey beer that was called Hive Mind, I remember specifically saying, like, for inspiration, I sent her, like, a, a, a screen grab from the movie Men in Black. And I'm like, remember the scene in Men in Black where the, the guy, like, his face opens up and there's, like, a little alien sitting in a chair inside his head like he was piloting yeah. the dude? I'm like, do that, but, like, I want to be, like, running this guy's brain. Like, something like that. And like, <laughs> the art, like, I want to make a shirt of that art. Like, it's great. And I'd love to sometimes sit down with all our art and, like, put together like a, a poster with all of them or like try and do a, sh a series of shirts or something. Cause they're just so fun. I really love everything she's been doing. It's yeah. great. You could even that do glass. Uh, oh yeah. Gla yeah glass glass too, but, that, but yeah, that would also make like a great t-shirt if you like, if you had like uh, just like a rectangle of like 20 labels on it or, or like, or something like that, that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah. you, you just reminded me of something in fact, uh, cause another really great name and label was, uh, like from not too long ago was bomb the sun. And yeah. am I, banned uh, in, am I remembering right? <laughs> What's that? It was banned in British Columbia. Right, yeah, right. So uh, really? you, you had to change. Oh you, you had to change the name of it for that one, right? Thank you. No, we ended up just not releasing it there. Um, we have an importer in BC over, and the liquor board out there has a say in whether the labels or the names of the beers are appropriate. And they said no. And I'm like, well, because it's inciting violence. I'm like, the name is from the Sun. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Trump would do the it. Sun's Did anyone live there? But I will say Bomb the Sun is, uh, is uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have even mentioned that because it is coming to the LCBO this spring. Hey. <laughs> now someone's going to call it out. I'm going to have to change it. Uh, <laughs> Goddamn Ontario. Um, both <laughs> Tiffany and uh, Tiffany's like, Robin is awesome. And Nancy's like, I love Robin. Everyone loves Robin. Yeah, she's mad cool, <laughs> man. Um, Nancy has another question. I, I, we didn't even need to ask anything, boys. We're, we're set. This is great. Uh, she said, what is the name that you regret? And what's your favorite? Ah, I know exactly which one I regret. Um, all of a sudden. <laughs> in the first year, we released a beer, which has become one of our more popular beers. We, we have a beer called Stormwatch, which is like a sort of a Flanders Red kind of base beer with ginger and lime leaves in it. So it comes, it's kind of like a darkened sun. Um, so it's got kind of like ginger and lime, like, uh, you know, that cocktail kind of character. And, um, we are like, how do we, you know, how do we get that sort of, you know, uh, how do we, um, you know, like 
basically get that that uh, that phrasing across in the name of this beer. So we came up with uh, Stormfront, uh, and uh, I, I won't spoil it, but I, I sent the name to our artist in Sweden, to Lada. She came back with this fantastic label that has this nice, like, uh, lighthouse sitting on this rocky coast with, like, these crashing waves. It's like Stormfront is a weather thing, right? It's And that's what we called it. Uh, and then when that beer was released, I remember I was at like Volo in Toronto or something and I started, my phone started dinging at me and I'm like, oh, what's this? And uh, people were texting me saying like, hey, do you know uh, Stormfront is the name of like this white supremacist newsletter? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, uh, no, uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> I hope you don't advocate that. Like, you know, just so you know, this is what Stormfront is. And I'm like, oh, uh, I didn't Google it. But anyways, we changed the name of that beer from Stormfront to Stormwatch. But I still have like a couple bottles of the original Super Racist label. Um, <laughs> I, even got, I even got an email from like one of my licensees saying, hey, Sean, um, we're really interested in the Stormfront beer that you have. But we were Googling for it. And just so you know, the first hits are to this like neo-Nazi stuff. And I was like, oh, God. He, now, I don't know I don't know what your messaging is there, but, like, we, we support you. We love your beers and this and that. And I'm like, no, no, it's cool, man. We, we, we found out about it. We're changing the name. Like, that's very nice that you're still supportive after, after this. But, uh, yeah, that, that was one that I do regret. Uh, I, none of the other ones really come to mind as things I didn't like. I mean, some of them obviously probably felt more rushed than others to me. But, um, yeah. Your favorite is fuck racism. I see from uh, from Tiff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, that one was, was a great we, one. We were really over fuck racism uh, because at the mm. time where I was planning this, this was back. We started planning this beer back in like March or April, back when all these like protests were happening in the states, and I was just so angry seeing all this kind of not not seeing the protests, but just angry at the fact that people are getting gunned down and this and that. I said, like, you know, fuck, fuck this stuff, right? Like, fuck racism. Like, why does nobody just call uh, something fuck racism, right? And at the same time, we were bottling a beer, and, he, and, like, the feedback sort of while we were chatting was, well, you know, we're, like, three white guys here. I don't know if that's the best idea to put out something called fuck racism when we're just some white guys here. But I'm like, the company is only, like, three people. So <laughs> it's just that's yeah. what it is, right? Uh, but uh, no, I, I, I ended up going forward with it and we took all the money from that beer and it went to charity. So there was nothing, you know, nothing like we, the thought was like, I hope you don't feel like you're profiteering off of uh, something like that. Like, you know, just jumping on a bandwagon and profiteering, but it was just like an actual sentiment. I was, I remember driving home one day from the brewery and I was just yelling at the radio at the things I was hearing. I was so upset hearing these things on the news that um, really felt like we needed to, uh, you know, to, to, to step up and do something, do what we could. Like as a brewery, there's not a lot you can do, right? The best thing I can do is raise money through something that we sell. Right. And, and, you know, we took the step of not keeping any of that money. Right. So, you know, that, that, you know, that, that, that meant a lot to, to me this year, but yeah. Yeah. It was a great move, dude. And I know that you couldn't really participate in black is beautiful. One that's, you know, you don't push scouts and to the way that your brewery is set up. It's not that simple. So like, the fact that you were able to make it work and you went sort of out of your way to make it work because you and the team were passionate about it, it speaks volumes and like it's fantastic because you didn't <clears throat> excuse me um yeah you, you like you figured it out 
and not everybody did that. And a lot of, you know, there was probably only like 30 breweries in Ontario that did anything in the Black is Beautiful thing. There's three that did anything here in Quebec, to be honest. So that was that was a really solid move. And I think that uh, definitely it was good. let people know exactly yeah. where you stood. The funniest part, because what we, you and I were talking about it, and I was like, no one can say anything against that and not just be straight up called a racist. And then Nathan's That's post. Exactly. <laughs> What can you argue with? Because people argue against being like, well, all, all lives matter or this or that. And, you know, everybody's got their arguments for, for how, they can, how they can crap on something on social media. And thank you so much to you, uh, Craig, for feedback. Like, I reached out to a few people I knew in, on the media side saying, like, can you let me know in advance how you think this could backfire on me and I'll just end up having, you know, people and, and just poisoning the message. And uh, I think, yeah, that was the idea, was that if you just come and came out and called it fuck racism, uh, it's it's hard to argue against that one um, without just <laughs> coming out and saying, I, no, I support racism. So yeah. that, that, it, it kind of, it was it was the simplest message I think we could put out. <laughs> it was, no, it was dope. And then the Nate, you still had a dickhead comment on your photo of it and, and turned it into a... All lives matter. Turning it, yeah, t- turning it into an all lives matter thing. Like uh, whatever, fuck that guy. Uh, yeah. you, you know what? It, like it, it doesn't take away from like it doesn't take away from the like from the very good message that the, that the beer sent. So let's we don't need to spend any more time on him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I, I love that. Yeah, no, I'm totally with that. I think that was uh, that was a beautiful thing. Um, are you? That type of beer, would you ever do that again, or could you, could you do it again? Because I know it's not even like a wood as much as like, do you even have the stuff to do it again? Yeah, we could. I mean, th- that was an experiment in trying to work with chocolate and orange and like those things. And I think we learned enough from that that we could try it again. We used a lot of cocoa nibs in that beer. Um, I think the contact time could have been longer. Like we've tried to do chocolate a few times, and just none of the tests worked out well. And uh, I think you know having the right other complementing flavors really kind of helped it along, but uh, it's it, it's it's definitely something like because I for example like back when we were trying to come up with a beer we'd like try uh, you know like a raspberry and chocolate or like you know things that you think work together well in a dessert but they just don't work in a sour beer so much mm-hmm. and also chocolate just being kind of a bitter flavor to start with is tough to do yeah. so um, whether we do something like that again um, you know we could. Um, obviously we have the recipe for it, um, but whether we want to focus our energies on that or not, um, not in terms of like, I'm happy to do it again and just give all the money to charity. Again. That's, that's perfectly fine. Like that was, it was part of that beer also came from a stock of kegs that we had that we didn't have a plan for because all of the, uh, draft sales had dried up for the year. So we went back and picked some of our dark beers, I think maybe even a raspberry dark. Anyways, we grabbed some, some things that we had that we, that we knew we could repurpose. Um, so that's, you know, otherwise some things get drained, you know, wasted. So um, working right. with what we have is, is a good idea. Um, you know, and at the same time, we can't always release the same beers we'd like to because some of the beers are blends of two other beers. And unless they happen to be in our cellar at the same time, we don't have the components to do them. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you, you have unique challenges in your uh, with your business model. Um, I'm not sure if this was aimed at anyone. Ken Dudley said, what's up? No, N-O. Is that someone? Yeah, I work with that gentleman. There you go. He calls you no. I like it. Yes. So today is. 
Why did you never tell us? People call you no. No one does. That's well, the no, first time well, anyone you know, has. No has so many syllables. So it's too many. Shorten yeah. that shit somehow, right? <laughs> I don't mind. It's nice to finally have a nickname. I, uh, I never had one growing up. All right. Well, no is what it is now. <laughs> you bloody wanker. I love it. Um, cool. Should we Yeah. Like I've got the – so, okay. So this is where we deviate. So you had all four there, Sean. Is that right? That's right. And I have difficulty level in the fridge, which I can go fetch. Um, Nate and Noah, what did you fellas have? So I've got number just four on in the fridge as well. Okay. I'm going to grab difficulty then since I have that. And then uh, I guess you guys could do either or. And if Noah, you're satisfied with what you're uh, doing. Because I'll be able to finish like some of these tonight. Whatever I don't finish, I'll pop a stopper in now. It's like I'm not afraid like I used to be. It's great. I th- I'd like to revisit the difficulty. Like I'll, I'll crack both of them and talk about both Let's of them. Let's fucking go, mate. Let's, let's bloody do it. Don't be scared. Yeah, well, let's look at difficulty level then because that was right. the first year of and I and I haven't tasted it since, like me. So that one came out in like the first quarter of 2020, right? Nate, you can go grab yours yeah. if you want. Right. That's oh, our oh, little uh... cute little dinosaur. So Noah, you already had this, right? Sorry, no. Yeah, that's great. I love no. Thank you for that, Ken. You're a champion. That's great. I'm gonna read the label again to remember what it was. Yeah. I remember really enjoying that one. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to fetch one of my favorites. Mm. Okay, that's what this one is. Yes. <laughs> this one is described as a blend of golden sour beers aged in oak barrels with mixed berries and vanilla. So this was this was our sort of without returning to that. You know, as the first beer for 2020, we were kind of coming off of reviewing 2019's beers and kind of talking about what worked and what didn't. And of course, we talked about the coffee beer and said, "Like, let's let's go back. Let's 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 start the year with a crowd pleaser. Like, let's put all the berries people love. Let's give it vanilla. Like, let's revisit that kind of desserty, you know, like the the peach cobbler beer idea, or even the time and space with that vanilla. Like, let's go back to something that just dessert." Like something that nobody can nobody can argue with dessert. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about it is I felt like the vanilla integrated a bit better for my tastes than um, time and space did. It was a bit more subtle. Yeah, and I think well, I, yeah, I dug that. I looked at the vanilla we used. We used a lot of it. It was quite quite upfront. This one was a little more restrained. We also used a different kind of vanilla in this beer, I believe. Like we have one vanilla that we use in the time and space that's a little more like uh, like vanilla icing, like cake cake. Yeah, and this one is. I more think that's the like, thing I don't like as much. Yeah, this it, exactly it, it it works in some things where it's where it doesn't work in others. So when we used it in like a uh, like I think like a, a, a pie beer or something like I can't remember where right. we've used it before. But when we use it, and it, it's, it's the same vanilla that a lot of people will use, and like it, it was gifted to me uh, by another brewery who was using it in a pumpkin beer, like along with the pumpkin spices Ooh, and that. that same pumpkin. Yes. They, they were like, "Here, try a drop of this," and I'm like, "Oh no, this is super desserty and cakey and like awesome." It makes me think of like 
Sarah Lee cake or something, right? Like, so it, it right. has its purpose. It's not like for the uh, the people who are like, you know, vanilla is also super expensive right now. So like to go and buy yeah. like pounds of vanilla would be thousands of dollars or something. So so like we, we do look at extracts for a lot of these things. It also lets you taste stuff immediately when you're trying out different recipes. Sometimes like the Waggle Dance, we will use actually vanilla beans because we know it's going to be an underhanded uh, addition to the beer and it's just going to kind of accent or balance it. Uh, but for like a beer where we're really trying to just like emphasize the day, um, like we'll go with like the more heavy-handed vanilla sometimes. So this was, I think, the first time we used a different vanilla. Uh, it was an extract, and um, I think it worked really well in this beer. So this this beer was a mix of I think I was yeah. at festivals uh, the year before, and um, I would be pouring beers. Like I usually go to a festival with like four kegs. And uh, the people who come to my table always are like, okay, let's try the sour beer. And then they come back and then they come back. And I end up at the end of the day with a lot of people who are like, I've tried all of your beers now. Uh, you know, I really love these beers. Do you have anything else? And at that point, we just start mixing the taps together for people. Uh, so I can go to a festival with like four tags and four, seven different beers for folks. Uh, and, and it's great. It's a good, it's a good way to experiment as well. Like, uh, the Hascap beer, all the best hats that we do. Hascap's the, the berry from so it's like it's kind of like a jack of all trades berry. It's got like it tastes like raspberry and cranberry and like grape and uh, and uh, strawberry. Like it's it's got like a lot of berry flavors to it. Um, and then Jam Hands, which is our raspberry beer, uh, is such a nice beer too that we we um, we'd often have them on tap side by side and like say like this is our favorite festival and um, so we we went back to that idea of mixing the the, the, the two uh, base beers together the Haskap beer and the raspberry beer and then just desertifying it with vanilla um, so that I believe I've got all the nuances of what we did for that beer the back of it says that's exactly what uh, you said as well as in the back we bottled it we took all of the oh okay. We, we actually made our Haskap beer the one year, and then after we bottled the beer, we took all the fruit out of the barrel, out of the tank, and put it back into a couple of separate barrels and topped them up with beer. And then we waited 10 months, and in parallel, we waited for Jam Hands to come along. And then just based on our experience that people really, like of the beers we released for the club, like those desserty ones were always like very well received. We just decided to lead with, with something super desserty last year. And then uh, it came out really well. I, I, I like it's, it, but it is like right up front vanilla. Like, oh, heavy. can't avoid. It. You get like a huge nose of vanilla and berries. So it like think of like almost like uh, something. Like if you had like a custard with the berries mixed in with it, like that kind of kind of aromatics. That's a really good explanation. This is insane, dude. My God, the nose is just crazy. Like it's super. I'm really bizarre. loving hats. Cap berries and, mm. and beers. In, in Quebec, in French, it's called Camaris. So you see it, you're oh, seeing wow. it more and more um, in uh, in beers. And it, like you said, it's so it, it's so hard to pinpoint. Like it's for me, I get a lot of like cherry and blueberry. But yeah, like you get raspberry, you get everything out of that that fruit. Um, it's kind of just like it's if like you, a little berry salad. Yeah, if you chew on the berries by themselves, like it, they're, it's funny. They look like long blueberries. They're like about the size of a grape, but they're like the color of a blueberry, and they're like a football shape almost. They're like elongated. But if you bite into them, they're red inside. So that, like that's oh. and that that flavor you get from them is 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 
I always they're they're quite sour too. So it reminds me a lot of cranberries, but then they also have these other like they've got the blueberry kind of tannin from the skins and stuff. So like they're really cool. It's hard to it's it's it, it's a fruit that just tastes like other fruits. I think uh, it's 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 really cool. Uh, I like them a lot. They're, they're very expensive, um, but uh, and I think they'd probably be really good on ice cream. Like if you had a bowl of vanilla ice cream and you just throw those mm. on there, like frozen uh, Haskat berries, that'd be a pretty good dessert. <laughs> oh, you're making me hungry now. Oh, I know. Now I want dessert. <laughs> Shit. What if Uber eats it? Um, we got a, a bunch of comments as well. We're talking. Um, Chris says, have you considered making a kiwi sour? Because I really want to taste a kiwi sour. Um, I haven't. We have, I think, well, it's been considered, obviously. Kiwi was a fruit that, uh, that has come up in conversations before, but... Um, I have a feeling like I've tried a kiwi sour. Like kiwi's a great fruit, and I used to love them when I was a kid. Just cut the skins off and just have sliced kiwis in a fruit salad or anything. Yeah. Like, and fruit salad is probably a good place to look because there's often like an orange juice component or like there's always some kind of tartness yeah. in fruit salad. But I find that a lot of the fl- kiwis are a pretty mild fruit, and I feel that a lot of the backing kind of flavor of them comes from the sugars maybe. So yeah. like yeah. This, this, I, I get the same kind of experience with peaches. Peaches are such, when you get a ripe peach, they're like so juicy and like your nose fills with peach and everything and the flavors are so great. But as soon as you ferment all the sugars out of a peach, you're left with like just the aromas, but the flavor doesn't match, right? So Mm. um, you often have to use a lot of peach in order to get peach to come across. Like I think the beer that I did, the peach beer called uh, Rhymes with Beaches, I took it to a festival in Edinburgh. And uh, some, someone came up to me and just said, like, oh, it's too bad it doesn't really taste like peaches. I don't get peach from this. And I was like, this was the beer that we've used the highest ratio of fruit to beer ever. Uh, it was something like 35%. Oh, no. Something like, like it, wow. was, it was a crazy amount, right? And I'm like, oh, well, this is at least the first year we did a peach beer and we blended it with apricots, which kind of added some of the missing flavor. But, like, peach just doesn't taste like peach when you take the sugar away, I guess, maybe. Mm. Uh, but I feel like kiwi might have the same problem, but at the same time, I really want to try kiwi now. But maybe using some of our club beer tricks where we are, you know, maybe adding a pectin back to it to kind of back sweeten or something uh, to try and like hey, Craig. revive that, 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 that kiwi flavor. Yeah. Kiwi Linowice? Craig, didn't you we to just say? get? Yeah. Didn't from, we just get a kiwi sour from. from yeah, I haven't tried it yet. Is, yeah, it's is, great. It, do you get. No. You, you get the kiwi? No. No, I, I think the they tartness. need to like like 10x what they use probably to make it. Like it's not green. Um, so, uh, Sean, there's a brewery here. Um, they're sort of like contracting for now, but they're looking to start. They're called Bob Mag now. Two guys that were home brewers. I met them years ago when they were just home brewing and seeing them kind of like grow. So they have a thing called a kiwi linowice, like a berlinowice with kiwis. Um, oh, okay. And it's it's I think it's subtle, but I think they need to ramp it up. I bet once they have their own place, they'll be able to to ramp it up. So I think just like a, a fruit like um, kiwis are going to be similar to something like a peach, where if you don't use it in volume, you're not really getting yeah. as much out of it. So I think if you did like, it, I'd love to see what you would do with that actually with all the barrel aged stuff. I think you'd need to use a, a shit ton of it, but it could be fun to pair it. You probably have to do some tests, but with yeah. some other fruits to kind of maybe like have like a the symphony in the background with the kiwi as the front, but some other fruits yeah. hold it up a bit. And the question I want to ask myself is, what do you usually find kiwi with or in? Like, what yeah. is kiwi? 
In Australia, there's a we know you and I talked about this recently. Pavlova. There's a pavlova. There's a uh, Aussie dessert called a pavlova. Are you guys familiar with that? No. So it's like a, a, a meringue cake. So that, not really. No. Okay. So it's like a normal, like you know, circular cake that's you know high or whatever, and it's meringue on the outside, like the hard meringue, and on the inside it's this like spongy stuff, and it's basically just egg white and sugar essentially, and on top yeah. of this cake yeah, yeah. they put passion fruit, kiwi, strawberries, and whipped cream typically are the, the main thing. So that's my childhood of eating kiwi fruits. Uh, obviously, they're, I don't know if they're from New Zealand, but like they were pretty common in Australia. So I was sort of, that was like the main way. But over here, I don't think they have – like in a, sometimes mum would just like cut one in half and just use a spoon and just like dig it out and just eat the thing raw. And it's, it's quite tart like on, the, on, the, on its own. Yeah, the first like thing when that occurs to me when I'm thinking what um, what what kiwi goes with, I think is strawberry. Like that's yeah. uh, like that would be like the fruit combo. Would yeah. be, uh, like would be kiwi. Uh, would be strawberry kiwi. Yeah, that's like and a unfortunately, strawberry detriment. Strawberry is one of the hardest fruits to use in a beer, especially in a sour beer, a mixed fermentation beer. Um, strawberry, most of the time, uh, and I believe it could be related to the seeds on the strawberry skin, but. Um, you end up with like a vinyl kind of aroma to it. Like the sugar will go out of the strawberries and you'll end up with this weird plasticky smell. And we did a strawberry yeah. beer like two years ago, I think. And, um, we, I think we started with a, with a, it was like an aseptic strawberry puree. Cause we like the thought was like, well, it's been strained somewhat. So maybe we'll restrain that flavor a bit. And it actually turned out. Okay. Uh, I was pretty happy with it. I could smell a little that plastic thing, and I, every other brewery I've been to that does a strawberry beer, I've found the same flaw. Um, but um, something like like only one out of ten people really picks up on. So that's that's an interesting side. Like I've done a strawberry beer where I could tell that it was plasticky, but like most people didn't. So I, I'm kind of still a bit afraid of strawberry beers. Um, but um, yeah, strawberry and kiwi sounds good. Yeah, maybe kiwi love even. Hot. Maybe something with hops, like some kind of complimentary hop aroma with kiwis. I'm not mm. sure. Um, funnily enough, there's a whole bunch more comments uh, right yeah. now, man. People are coming through. You're very popular, Sean. Um, Chris is saying, uh, he, said, <laughs> he said, even if you don't use a lot of hops, make sh- if you make a kiwi sour, make sure the hops are from New Zealand. Which is, a, uh, <laughs> uh, I think there would be some really like fl- like tropical forward New Zealand hops that could actually very like not it's like essentially you would make like a dry hop sour with the kiwi and Galaxy. strawberry. Ga- well, Galaxy is Australian, so you'd have to use like Rwanda, oh, right. Moteca, right. um, Waiti, or all those different type of joints. Um, Nelson would be expensive. Nelson, <laughs> but see, Nelson brings the white wine vibes. I don't even know if Nelson would be yeah. able to move. But, yeah, it might not even. Um, so that's a good one. A couple other things. Chad was saying great. I think he's talking about the difficulty level. It says great smell, great taste. I picked up 15 of them and introduced a lot of friends oh, into the sour world. Wow. What a fucking champion. That's great. See, that's, that's how it's got to work, right? That's how it goes. If you love a beer and you're like, yo, I need this. And I can understand this is insane. This is ridiculous. Um, unless he means like 15 small pony bottles. Because this is a club beer. I don't. Unless you got 15 club memberships. Oh, that's a fair point. <laughs> You can buy them, right? Anybody in the club can buy the excess. Okay. So oh, he right. did that, or he actually, Chad, let us know what you bought. Buy a case of those beers or something, mm. and uh, that's true. Them. Thank that's, you, Chad. That's great. <laughs> there are. I mean, I looked at the inventory today, and I think even that first beer, because it's funny when we're signing, 
we sign people up for the club. We start before Christmas and we never know how many people we're going to end up with by the end of the year. Cause we just keep the sign up open until we run out of one of the beers. Cause like we allocate two bottles for everybody. And if there's a hundred extras, uh, that means I could either sign up 50 more people by the time the summer's over or somebody in the club might just buy those beers up and then we got to close the club for the year. So this year we actually started the year by, and this happened in our first year. We, uh, you know, we signed up however many people and we made the first beer. And then unfortunately the first beer had like the extras had sold out by like July. And so anybody who came by asking about the club, because we still had like two or three more beers to release, I said, well, it's, Unfortunately, it's all sold out. Like, I cannot sign you up because you will not get the first beer now. So this year, we actually, and last year, we, we've we've kind of overproduced on those early beers. Just like, so I, we probably did like 500 bottles of difficulty level or something like that. So, uh, and I think this year there's, or last year, there was maybe like 160 or something. Anyways, there's, there's a certain number of people. So I look at inventory and I think we have 100 bottles of difficulty level left. So anybody who's in the club this year or last year is is able to buy those bottles. So if they, you know, they're available. Um, otherwise, what we end up doing is we we'll, might take some home. They'll just stay around for anybody in future years if they want to taste anything from the back catalog of club beers. So that's that's the new deal with the club is like any of the previous year's beers are are open open for you. I love that. That's super cool. It's great. Um, Tiff has given you props on your sweater, Nate. The old, uh, the small pony sweater. Oh, look at that! With that like burgundy. Oh, and Sean's one with that royal blue. That blue jade. It's beautiful. Um, this crappy oh, Canada thing. <laughs> well, you don't even have your small pony merch, bro. Come on, get with it. Oh, you're the small pony I, beanie. Oh shit! I love, I love that beanie so much. Yeah, it's got like yeah, the old school like, Nintendo oh, vibe. We just went like Donkey Kong on it because um, yeah, the sun had a barrel. And a whole, like it, it just kind of fell out. And Robin did the art for that one. Of course, which was kind of fun. On your, um, I love it. On your, of course, these hats all came out. Like we ordered, like we got these hats in like uh, February last year. So right at the end of winter is when all the hats finally came in. Can people so. get them? Can people get them this year? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They're they're available. And the club, you can get a glass and a hat with the club sign up as well. There's, anyways, they're fun. I love, I like them. I good. love it. I'll have to reorder. Um, so Sean, you mentioned as a, uh, uh, like as a possibility with the Kiwi that like, like finding, um, a hop combo for it, um, when, um, and coming back to one that you've already done when you like, cause with, ja- uh, with jam hands, you did hop hands where uh, they like, where you mixed the, uh, the barb rouge with it, which was an interesting combo. Um, did you have any plans to try any other hop combos with that or any other beers? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, so, you know, again, through that first year or so, we just kind of were focused on doing one flavor at a time, like raspberry or, you know, cherry or a hoppy beer or whatever. Um, so, like, and I think partly through just blending some of the beers, we came up with some ideas there. But uh, the, the reason for doing a hop hands, which was like a dry hop version of jam hands, was um, it actually it spun out of Bellwoods uh, doing their uh, Jelly King. And then doing all these mm-hmm. fruit versions of Jelly King. Um, so instead of doing that, I think like Hop Hands was sort of the first in a series that we'd like to do of taking our most popular fruit beer and just doing different hop versions of that fruit beer, which I think would be fun. I'd like to try like a dank Columbus raspberry beer and a nice fruit. Like, like I think there's like a good two or three things we could do there that would be a fun, just a fun experiment to try once. 
because um, you know we, d- we don't work with a lot of hops like if you do if you're in a brewery doing a lot of IPAs you could have five or six different IPAs on the go at any time and you've, you've, you've got all these different hops but you know we've we've I think in our dry hopped beers we've only we've done maybe like four or five dry hopped beers including hop hands and like we usually work with a combo combination of hops but like we, we haven't really used more than like five or six hops at the brewery I don't think so and there's like like dozens or hundreds of varieties out there waiting to be tried. So I'd, I'd like to do a series of small batch uh, dry hop beers, but like instead of just dry hopping a plain old sour, it'd be fun to like pair it up with a fruit beer as well, or, or pair them all up with the same fruit beer. That's so good. Cool. I love that whole idea. A um, couple quick questions. This is um, people are wild. Ben Wass says, Chad, you seem like a nice guy. We should meet sometime. <laughs> Look at that. It's like a, it's like fucking Tinder out here. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, Nancy says Chad is dealing the culture club beers on the black market because he said <laughs> so. He said he actually bought fifteen big bottles, and I imagine he's talking about uh, there were extras of difficulty level. He only has one left. Ooh, we need to save that, bro. Uh, Kevin, well, I, did, I did get that, I did get that uh, feedback. Um, so, like, we do let the club members order. Like, so whenever there's a culture club release, well, I'll tell people, hey, it's out. It's coming out on Friday, or it's out today. Uh, just log in and you'll get your free bottles in your cart and, and or whatever. And I'll say, we also have extras of this beer. And uh, in the first year we did this, we did have a problem where uh, someone bought like uh, like two or three cases of one of them. Ooh. And um, it sold out. The extra bottles sold out. And occasionally people get confused and say, oh, it says it's sold out on the website, but I'm in the club. I thought I was supposed to get these beers. But that's only the extra bottles that were sold out. Mm-hmm. Everybody is always guaranteed to get their club beers. It's just that I think for one of the beers, we only had like 48 extra bottles and someone bought two cases of it. So when my email went out to say, hey, the beer's out, like in an hour, it was just gone because Mm -hmm. one person bought like a case or two and other people bought twos or fours or sixes. And so unfortunately, it went fast. I took that feedback and and now for the the releases, if we don't have 100 extra bottles, I'll usually say like the club beer's out, you get your free bottles and we have some extras, but due to the amount, we were, we're putting a limit of two or four on your extra bottle orders for the next like two days. So kind of give everybody a chance to pick up one or two extras if they want it. But you know, then after that, it's kind of open season. And you, if, if you really like a beer, you can buy all of the beer. <laughs> right. And unfortunately it's not unfortunate because I don't really, um, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me as much, but um, some, sometimes like, and especially in Quebec, folks who have are in the club and they'll only travel to Canada once or twice a year. And so they will order an extra case of these bottles because they want to share it with friends or they've, you know, said, Hey, this beer came out. Uh, do any of my friends want one? And they'll, they'll order extras right. and that's fine mm-hmm. me because as far as I'm concerned, um, they're ordering the beers for themselves and they're in the club. Um, and what they do with those beers, it's not for me to say. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not clamping down on traders or people, you know, you know, whatever. Because like, there's a lot of beer trading that happens out there, so and, and I love yeah. it. I encourage it because no, that's it. how you take things. <laughs> that's it, man. I mean, yep. like you've got very sought after products, and, and particularly here in Quebec, it's uh, there's a strong taste for uh, what you do out here. So you know, it's not surprising at all that they're loving it. Kevin says Sean is the nicest brewer ever. So welcoming and nice to customers. What a oh, nice thanks so guy. much. You are the nicest bloody bloke ever, mate. And Nancy says, it's like toilet paper. You should have a limit. Yes, so there is a limit <laughs> on the release days. There is a limit. Which is smart. Um, no, I love it. Um, dude, this is this is really fucking good. Like, this is probably my favorite for tonight. Um, 
did you say, I think I kind of, when I was just went to, to pick up the beer and came back, this is not actual vanilla, I'm sorry, it's not vanilla beans, it's vanilla extract in this one. No, it's not vanilla beans, it's an extract uh, in this one. Um, you know, I was listening to a really good, um, uh, there, there was like a show on CBC like a year or two ago that I was listening to in the car, and um, this was back as vanilla was just exploding in, like going up past like $1,000 a pound and la la la, right, and all these troubles throughout the world about it. And uh, there was a guy who was like a vanilla trader and broker for 30 years, and he was on the show talking. He said, you don't need those expensive vanillas for everything, right? Like if you are baking at home, uh, as soon as you put expensive vanilla in the oven, you've lost a lot of those aromatics that are what make it what it is, like it's a waste of your money. There are places where it's, it's, it's good to use real vanilla, and there's places where you can use other kinds. Um, like we're using a vanilla extract, which comes from vanilla beans, but it's being extracted and concentrated it's so much easier to blend and taste and figure out how much to use. And it can be done a lot faster and which is helpful to us when we're doing these club beers. Cause like, I, I don't know if anybody knows this, but like if we put fruit in a beer, we've got to wait at least like two months, sometimes as long as six months for that fruit to finish fermenting. But if you were to pick up an extract, you can get all the flavor in the beer immediately on the day you do it. So like there's reasons we want to use some over others and, you know, we've used real vanilla beans, we've used extracts, we've used, I used an artificial vanilla in one beer because I wanted it, or maybe we haven't used it yet. Um, it might have been, actually, it might have been in the racism one because I really liked that it smelled like uh, creamsicles, mm. like, whereas the other vanillas don't. Creamsicle has a very specific vanilla smell. And I said, like, this is the $5 bottle I can get from the grocery store and, um, it's going to let me make a creamsicle beer. Whereas if I went and spent a thousand dollars on vanilla beans, that would be wasted effort. I think. Right. Cause it wouldn't translate. Right. Exactly. No, it's fascinating. And this is giving it like, I don't know if you, I'm sorry if I'm repeating anything, but it's giving it the whole time. I'm getting it almost like a, um, like a pastry sour vibe from this. There's like, uh, almost like how you were talking Definitely. about the disassemble, reassemble where those spices give it that cake crust or the, the pie crust, um, vibe, which is just insane. I'm getting a similar ish vibe from this one. Like particularly if I smell it from the bottle, there's this like, it's totally, it's, it's insane. Like this is. And that like using, bit. using different vanillas, just like that's one, that's one tool at, in our sort of toolbox for, you know, ways we can, we can, you know, get a specific flavor that we have in our minds. Um, I'm, I haven't shied away from using uh, like a, a, a tea at times too. Like we did, as you say, disassemble, reassemble was that like really big, bold, peachy number. And we used a lot of our concentrated peach beer in that, but like just to take it one step and like same re reason we use some of that, uh, uh, stevia to add a like back sweeten slightly the honey beer which we used a lot of honey in um uh, we have also um you know to back back up that peach that was kind of not as peachy as we wanted i used a little bit of peach tea like an herbal tea that was a peach peach flavored one which is what helped some of the aromas like it really helped to add back like it wasn't a, a major component but it was just like adding 10% back to what, what was lost in the fermentation of the peach. Um, so like, there's just so many ways, like we're, you know, we're not tied to only using fresh fruit or this or that, like we'll buy purees, we'll, you know, you know, seasonality is pr a tr trouble, but sometimes you can like adding more peach to that beer wouldn't have made it peachier. At that point, we found that the way to make that beer peachier was to actually um, look at a peach tea. 
So that that's hmm. yeah, that's I like that. You make up the flavors from however you can. I love it. Um, Kevin's saying original Culture Club member still have some 2017 bottles in the cellar. That's gangster. Um, oh, I did too. As well, and then Nancy's saying, "Yeah, I have some 2018. I love it." Uh, Chad says, "Well said, Sean. This is about the Quebec. It's a two point, a two and a half hour drive for me to get to your brewery coming into Quebec. So it's cool well, that you do that." And that's one of the other benefits of the Culture Club is like we let you warehouse your beers here. So if you're only going to drive to Ottawa once a year or ship all your beers once a year, we give everybody shelf space here that's in the club. So any other releases throughout the year, if anybody sees something they want, this we have a shelf in the back that's just everybody's bottles we're holding on to for the year. So they can just come pick them up nice and easy. That's really great. Yeah, man, I love that. And Kevin's saying here, Quebec and Toronto folks seek small small pony for sure, and I, I definitely have seen that, um, which is great, at least for the, um, the the other Ontario folks with your LCBO listings. That helps. So you, you want to crack the other one, the first, the fifth yeah, one, right? Yeah, let's into that. I don't know how long you want to go, so we might as well try another one. Fucking do it. Uh, I don't know. You probably don't have this one, Quebec guys. I dropped no. one off with Nathan. So this oh, is wow. a fun flexing on us, flexing on us. Nate. Oh yeah. Oh, so that is yeah. uh, is that black raspberry, I wild blueberries, and spices. Yeah, isn't the artwork great? <laughs> yeah, that's a great looking mole. I'd be mates with it for sure. <laughs> so this was the fourth <laughs> beer, this was the last beer for the year, and we just rounded off the critter series with uh, with the techno mole. He's like a industrious little, uh, you know. <laughs> Team punky kind of like post-apocalyptic mole man. He's got a tool belt, I but as being a techno mole, he also has a glow stick. And he likes, yeah, and, and a robotic hand. Yeah, of course. And the oh, ball, yeah. I, the back of the label's hilarious. I think it's on the website if you read it there. But I, I just rather like it's tough to write these descriptions on the back of the beer sometimes, and it's also usually a few hours before it has to go to the label company. Um, of so course. <laughs> I either my. My writing on the back of these is either I'm trying to describe as best I can what we did to make the beer, or it's a story of some kind. And this one is purely the uh, story narrative side. This is, I'll read it to you if you want. It's fine. Please. Uh, <laughs> beyond the sun-bleached wasteland, beyond, below the ruins of the metropolis, life persists, thrives even. The Technomole scurries from place to place, supporting the hydroponic systems that maintain the fruit farms. As he tightens the last bolts, an urgent request crackles through the speak box. One of the cinnamon dredges has lost a conveyor. There should be enough time to assess and repair before the solstice rave begins. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the solstice so rave. Technomole character. I didn't describe what we did to make the beer. However, we called out fruit and spices in there and that's kind of the description is it's a gold and red sour beer aged in barrels with black raspberries and wild blueberries and spices and i believe the spices were cinnamon i may have we may have used a touch of nutmeg but like this is a beer where we just were well more restrained on the spices we look back to that pie that disassemble reassemble pie beer we did last year and uh just like dialed it down like 10 times um it was this is the last beer for the year we started with really bold flavors like that uh, difficulty level with that vanilla and berries. We went to the, the super honey beer and just went honey, honey, honey. Um, we went to the fruit punch one, which is again, like more bright ones. So when it came time to do this one, we just kind of ended up settling on something that was like a little more subtle and balanced. And uh, um, on our blending side, we just were like using a light touch with everything on this one, just trying to 
be a little more delicate with it just to make a nice, nice kind of delicate beer. Um, and I, I haven't, I haven't tasted it since we were blending it. It's got uh, black it's raspberries are just magic. Yeah. Um, Dunham's black raspberry Berliner is probably my favorite pretty much ever. It's it, it, the pH apparently is the same as all their other Berliners, but it doesn't taste as sour. It's like, I don't know what, what the deal is with that fruit, but they're just lovely. Yeah. So this, this one, I get that black raspberries. We'd never used them before. So I, I ordered some and we put black raspberries into two barrels thinking like, we'll do something with them eventually. We'll see what it tastes like. And uh, when it came to time to come around to make this beer, we ended up, uh, we, we, we spent many weeks thinking about this beer, trying things we didn't like or weren't in love with, and um, eventually circled back to one of the original ideas that the guys had here, which was to like take one of our Flanders Reds, blend it with our wild blueberry beer, because we again, I think we added maybe 10 or 20% of the wild blueberry beer to this, because we had a couple of kegs, and it was one of the blending components we had at our disposal. Um, and then uh, like a red beer made up the base of it. So I think it was... I think the red beer was like the base for the Stormwatch beer, the ginger and lime beer, but with before we add the ginger and lime to it. So it was more like just kind of, we said like, well, this reminds us of a Flanders red, more like let's do a Flanders red, but just kind of like spice it up a little, give it a little fruit and just kind of like be restrained with it. So, um, yeah, it's great color. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a nice, uh, a nice deep red there. Um, an interesting thing that, that I find with um, uh, that I find with this one as well is that similar to um, Waggle Dance, like it is not um, it, like it's definitely a mellowed down uh, tartness com- uh, like compared to a lot of your beers, and particularly a lot of the ones that have uh, like, like that have raspberries or are like raspberry forward. Like if I compare this to jam hands or even to difficulty level like like the like the tartness is, like is really scaled down um it, like it's it like it, it drinks much more uh like much more mildly and, and like and delicately uh, and, and as you were saying like everything is kind of delicate in this one i find mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting you said mild it almost it's almost like in terms of comparing like jam hands with this kind of beer it's almost more like a comparison between like a, like an English IPA and a mild or something like, like it is like that restrained version of a similar beer, right? Like, or a bitters and a mild or pale ale and a yeah, mild. Yeah. That's, but, that's an we, I think we, The other reason we kind of were a bit lighter with the flavors on this was we happened to have, I think some, some barrel barrels that had nice, like the barrel character was kind of nicer in the, in the beer. And we didn't, anytime we started adding more of one fruit to it, we, we really started to lose the barrel notes. So we ended up deciding like, let's try and make this a more sort of barrel centric blend rather than a, uh, and just work with some of the barrels we have that we like the flavors in, in, and, and we'll just accent it with fruit rather than making it a fruit beer. Very cool. Interesting. Uh, Nancy was just saying, seriously, some of the best label work out there and uh, so very sci-fi. I freaking love it with the techno mall explanation. Um, sort of kind of coming back to the beginning here, Misfit Transport says, what made you decide to focus only creating a sour-based brewery? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I would have to go back like five years or more and say that I, I was homebrewing primarily. Like like I 
I had brewed some beers back when I was in university, you know, from kits and stuff. And then like took, you know, like a 10 year break from that and, uh, got back into it. Like probably about 10 years ago now, uh, got back into brewing uh, partly because of my friends in Sweden there who had given me like a homemade ginger beer when I was over there and said, Oh, this is great. I need this recipe. And he gave me the recipe and I dug out all my home brewing gear at home that I, that was, you know, still kicking around the basement. I said, this is what I need to make this ginger beer. And I just kind of got back into it. Um, and, and, you know, friends were encouraging me to, uh, try making beer. So I did and made like all kinds of different beers, like 25 different beers the first year. And then when you come around to the sour beers, um, it's, it, it, it takes so long to make them right that, the, the, the basic guidance, if you want to make a lambic, is like brew it at like pick a time of year like Christmas, brew it at that time every year, and then next year you'll be able to taste the one you made last year. You can blend the two together, and you know after three years you'll have like some good beers that you you know like like that kind of thing. So it was it's like a long turnaround. So as I was still brewing different beers, I had all these beers aging at home, uh, and even in a giant wine barrel in my basement. Um, that you know it took me a few years to, before I realized that these were some of the beers that I really enjoyed the most. Um, and like someone would say, well, I would only focus on doing sour beers, or, like when you could make other beers. But there are so many different uh, sour beers you can make. Like in that in that category, you can really uh, experiment. There's a lot of freedom there because really the styles aren't well defined, and you can just experiment and do what you want. And the other, you know, part of the reason too was like you couldn't find them here anywhere in Ontario. Back in you know 2015 or whatever, you might find Rodenbach at the, the LCBO you know, one week of the year. And if you didn't order it in time, it, you missed it. Right. So uh, that basically led me to having to make my own. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where it came from. And also, you know, part of the reason of wanting to open a brewery was to, you know, uh, I didn't want to just be doing what everyone else was doing as well. Like, cause I feel like other people can do that fine. And I didn't think it would differentiate the brewery at all. And there's nothing, totally nothing wrong with opening a brewery that, makes IPAs and stouts and this and that, like that's, that's how you make money. Uh, <laughs> you don't make money making only one beer. Um, and I got that <laughs> feedback from other brewers who had started breweries doing this kind of thing. Uh, but you know, we're, we're, we're carrying on doing that and, uh, hoping to just kind of refine it more and just keep, keep doing what makes me happy with, with, with these beers. Um, and you know, um, like uh, the steam whistle slogan of like do one thing well also comes to mind, right? Like they made that, that Pilsner and that's, you know, that you knew like it was always, you could, you find it on a menu anywhere and it was always going to be good. And yeah. It makes sense. I like it. And like, obviously you've uh, taken it to new levels and do you know what's most, uh, what I've appreciated most about it actually, man, is obviously we did this first podcast. I think it was 2018 if I'm not mistaken. And um, I think it was, yeah, I think it was. So to see the changes, I mean, like, you know, the, with the culture club and with, you know, even, you know, going out on the limb with the fuck racism stuff and trying these different things. And obviously the, the peak moment that we all haven't spoken about yet, the fucking smoothie, we all know that is, the, you know, and it's just been really cool to see, like, you start with this one thing in mind and do something very specific and be able to figure it out. And even including the small bottles getting those in LCBO and just finding ways to sort of keep your true vision and ethos that you started with whilst expanding that makes sense for the brand still. It's, um, it's very, very cool because every single thing you've said tonight 
none of it is like everything you said you're going to do is all like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Why are you doing that? Like it all really aligns with uh, who you are, you know? And I think that's very dope because it's, you've given yourself a fairly, a very dope yet narrow path, but you've been able to be creative enough to create all these other things on the side that like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Move yourself. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it, bro. It's very, very cool. Well, if you want to talk about that, we can. I know I dropped off a can like for Nathan and I, I, I think I can steal one. I think I can steal one from the fr- – there are six cans left of it at the brewery for someone's order. So as long as they don't come in the next two weeks, I can open it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever it is, don't come. Yeah. Maybe they're go. watching. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk, you can go grab it. If you want to go grab your one first to talk. I have it here. I, oh, you have it there. Okay. But Nathan's welcome to crack his. I can, I can at least show and tell it. Um, I don't need to drink uh, it. We can see what it looks like on Nathan's screen. I should do I, that. Yeah, I probably I, I, shouldn't I, drink. I can, I can go grab the can. I don't think I'm going to drink it because I've like I'm already on my third here, and that's probably enough for okay. one night. But I'll go get the can anyways. <laughs> well, yeah. you both take the, you, you, yeah, you we taste it. it as well. Yeah, speak to it, yeah. but uh, yeah. So, so I, I can it, tell the story. The artwork- about, um, before I get into the art there, Noah. Um, so I um, obviously this slushy and smoothie beer fad sort of kicked off in the States like maybe a year or two ago. And these breweries were making these beers where they're just kind of not even finishing fermenting the beer. They're, 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 they're adding fruit purees into cans. Cans are exploding on people if, unless they keep them in the fridge. There were beers that just had a picture of a bomb on the label. Like, and in the like brewers' Facebook groups and such that I'm involved in, like they're they're kind of panned quite a bit because they're just being super lazy and etc. Um, but uh, and I don't want to say anybody that I know is being super lazy, but like this was kind of the sentiment from this group is that sure you can just they throw anything in a can, <laughs> don't ferment it, and there you go, it's gold. Um, but at the same time, people are you know they're they're they got dry cleaning bills. Their cars are being ruined because these cans are exploding. It's just irresponsible. They're waiting for like the team in the States to just clamp down and say, all right, all right, you guys have been kind of self-policing for a while, but you obviously can't be responsible. So here are the new laws. So that, they're just asking for that to happen. So um, we, I was approached by um, a club member um, last year, about a year, almost a year ago, back in like February, March, something like that. And he was like, you got to make a smoothie beer. Uh, I, I, you know, you got to do this. I dare you to do this or whatever. And uh, it kind of came across as a dare. And I said, okay, okay, fine. Well, we'll, you know, maybe one day I'll play around with that idea. But I just don't like that this is this exploding beer thing. Um, and the reason these things explode is because obviously there's yeast in the beers. And yeast will eat any sugars they come across. If you put a beer in the fridge, it's going to slow the yeast way down. Like way, way down. Like take it 100 times longer to ferment something. But if you were to take a can of one of these slushy smoothie beers and just leave it on your shelf for like a week, it's probably going to explode. Uh, so you wouldn't want to be the person who gets gifted a beer and doesn't get the story and the disclaimer and all those things. So right. we, we basically spent like six months here trying to figure out if there was a way for us to do this safely and responsibly so that we, I just didn't want to get those emails from people saying, you just ruined my pantry. Uh, I got to paint the walls again, blah, blah, blah. So we actually... <laughs> We did a lot of experiments with um, pasteurizing the beer. So pasteurizing a beer is the same way you pasteurize milk to make it shelf-stable is you you heat it up quickly to a certain temperature 
hold it there for a couple of minutes and then cool it right down again. And uh, so we, we came up with this process to do it with what we have here. We tried it a few different ways and then we would take the cans afterwards, put them in our incubator, which is a little chamber that's at 30 degrees Celsius, kind of replicating the worst possible conditions. And then we'd leave them in there for a month. And like of those eight cans we put in there, one would explode, one would bulge, this would happen. We'd change our parameters a bit and say, okay, let's try it this way. There's a couple of ways to pasteurize things too. You can either do high temperature for a low time or low temperature for a longer time. And we found out that, you know, like some of these processes change the flavors of the beer, whereas one of them didn't. And so we settled after about six months of playing around, we settled on a way to do it and came up. And then we were like, well, what fruits do we want to use? And we had to play around with that a lot. But we eventually settled on this sort of passion fruit, mango, pineapple kind of number. Um, and, uh, of course, other people are doing, like, kettle sour beers or IPAs even or whatever. But we have, like, a catalog of sour beers here that are properly aged, like, a year. So this is actually sacrilegious to do that to these beers. Like, you wouldn't go to Cantillon and buy their bottles and then go just mix fruit punch and, like, you know, or pureed fruit into it and then heat it up. And Like, anyways, it sounds like a terrible idea, but it was something that uh, we were basically dared to do. So, so we did it, um, and we, we made this beer called Smooth. Um, which is, um, I was trying to come up with a name for this beer and I'm like, well, what sounds like smoothie-ish to explain what it is? And that word just came to mind for some reason. And I ran it by a Swedish artist. I'm like, does this mean anything in Sweden? And I was like, yeah, we could, we could basically do a pretty good take on someone's Swedish logo and branding and make something fun out of it. And on the back of the can, we've got the, uh, it's hard to see with that glare, yeah. There's like these so instructions for how to, how to, uh, yeah, nice yeah, it shows up. It's like, you know, the instructions, the little horse guy about getting the beer, shaking it up a yeah, little, like, pouring it, sharing it two meters apart, of course. So it's kind of like a fun <laughs> homage to um, a specific uh, label you might have seen on other products because um, that was yeah. a cool thing. And of course, I talked to my Swedish artist and she was like, I don't know about doing this. Uh, I'm a little nervous because, you know, company a little litigious here. And uh, I said, no, no, it's cool. We're, we're not, like, putting this on the shelves at the LCBO or anything like that. It's just going to be here for, like, a, a few days and gone. And, like, other breweries in Ontario are always doing riffs on other labels. It's fun. It's fun to see, like, Bellweiser or, you know, Blood Bar or, like, the, any of the other ones that, that, that the breweries have been doing. They're, it's just fun. It's a fun thing. And, there, see and there are some that are way more egregious than that. <laughs> way more. Yeah. 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 Well, I actually found out that a, a specific um, uh, shop lubricant has a very similar uh, branding colors. Uh, oh, that's true, eh? A certain WD-40 yeah. product. As I was doing the designs and stuff, said, oh, this really looks a little like that, too. Oh, well. Um, but <laughs> a little less appetizing. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so we did this beer. We pasteurized it. Um, it's good. We're, we, we are, of course, not set up to can beer here at all. So I ended up borrowing a can seamer from a friend's brewery, and we gunned it into each can. We're mixing the fruit by hand into each can and then filling each can and then seaming them one at a time. I think we can get about three cans a minute oh done with three of us. So this is like a really slow process, and, uh, and then we've got to pasteurize them and load them in and unload them in the pasteurizing tank and everything, and it's just... I think I went and did the math on it. It was costing us like almost $3 a can just in labor and time to, 
to put it into cans. Oh, so, wow. so the beer itself, it's eight bucks with tax. So it's like a $7 beer, but you know, it's also like we, we spent a year or more aging the beer. We bought all this fruit and, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an expensive thing to do. We probably didn't make any money making it, but it sold out in three minutes when we did it. So, and of course, well, we only had 250 cans or something like that, but you know, still that was like an interesting uh, result was that it sold so fast. And we said, okay, well, we may as well do it again. So I think we did it three times last year. And again, in that small batch size, we said, well, we didn't, we, I got a lot of calls and emails from people saying like, oh, I missed it. I didn't get it. Um, I said, okay, well, well, we'll do another one for you in like two, three weeks. And so we did. And like people went to get it again and it was sold out. But of course, I also let everybody in our club as part of their contract order beers in advance of the release. So like a portion of them were pre-sold to people in the club. Right. So there wasn't. 250 cans available at 11 o'clock there was maybe 150 or whatever whatever the number was but um so we've done it three times now and uh we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna play around with it a little more we're, we're planning to do it again and of course i got emails from restaurants saying hey can i get a case of this or a couple cases of that I said like no it's 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 all gone <laughs> i don't have any I, I i'd like a can but it's all gone so we're actually going to uh we're going to try to get some in the hands of a, a couple bottle shops and restaurants uh, around Toronto and Ottawa and such. Mm-hmm. So um, I just reached out to them sort of planning to do sort of a, a release just like for the, re- like just for those bottle shops so that we can get a bit more out and then do the public release of a second batch. So we're going to do two batches and just try to you know, keep them separate, trying to release it and also sell it to restaurants is a terrible idea. So, um, so we're going to try that. Yeah. Nancy says she never got the smoothie. Um, I can throw that in instead of the software. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, so they, it, it's a fun, it's a fun beer. It pours like opaque orange, uh, the carb, we kept the carb low. We played around with different carb levels, like trying to carve it up to like the normal carbonation level of a beer and like found that maybe it should be more like stouty or like Imperial stout in carbonation because it is more of a smoothie kind of mouthfeel. So I think people like that a, a bit better. We, we settled on that. Um, because we're obviously cutting one of our beers, which we're going to have to carbonate higher. If we're cutting it down like a third with fruit purees, we're going to lose, you know, the carbonation and stuff. So, so it's kind of an ongoing experiment. We're playing around with some different fruits and different ideas. We're playing with around with some ideas on this uh, this beer to like try and do, uh, you know, I don't know if vanilla is the right one to play with, but or or you know, we can actually play with lactose now, Craig, because uh, if we're pasteurizing. <laughs> That is that is killing off all the yeast that's that's active in the can and will uh, will let us use a, a, a something that otherwise won't ferment out. Um, I, I, I think I put maple syrup into one of them for fun last time to try, but we're going to try some other things. Um, Orange Julius is front front and center in my mind right now uh, as a as a kind of yeah, a flavor to aim. That would be amazing. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Lot, lot, lots of fun ideas. Your take um, on them is really special, man. Like uh, the three of us, funnily enough, like Nate and I obviously run the team lactose, so we're already aligned. But the best part about this is Noah is equally – sorry, I'm gesturing the other way. Noah is – it's like the Brady Bunch. Noah is equally aligned. Um, <laughs> yeah, point at me, point at me. Hey, that way, that way, that way. Um, with smoothies, typically he would yeah, – he, he wouldn't normally be, but um, I feel – Why wouldn't I normally be? Because you don't like lactose, but you say you don't like lactose, but you do. But anyway. He does. You're a yawn. We call him a yawn boy, Sean, because Noah likes boring styles. He's a yawn boy. He yawns. So 
Noah's uh, Noah. The fact that, and I'm meaning this in old props, bro. I'm not even making fun, but the fact that I feel like Noah, uh, you know, the best thing about you say about this is that like once you drink a smoothie, like you can't be mad at them. They're just a, a fantastic style, and they're, they're like they've been popping in the states for years. They picked up. They started here in Quebec. Probably started last year with Brewski and then Masoram and stuff doing it. Blah blah blah. Love seeing a few folks in Ontario doing them now, but the way that you do them is super unique because you're using, you know, barrel aged beer. So it's not just like some quick Berliner Weiss that's been it's two weeks old. This is like year old shit with like the fruit puree. So you've created this whole new um, take on smoothies, unintentionally, intentionally, whatever. Just the fact that Small Pony's doing them, you've just done it your way. And I think that's really special. And obviously the fact that yeah, – I know there's not many cans, but okay, if you had a 1,000 cans, it would probably sell it in five minutes instead of two minutes like type of thing. You know, It's not like – like the demand is there for these styles. And the fact that um, – you're, you're a fun dude though. So I was about to say like there's a lot of breweries that, that like are kind of like, no, 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 we're never doing that shit. And that's completely fine. You're always down to try fun stuff. This is not something I ever thought you would try to be honest. Not, not just because I was like it's – I was like, whoa, so what small point is Joe's doing a smoothie? I'm like, okay, okay. And it was fucking fire. And the fact that it's yeah. pasteurized really removes that sort of ticking time bomb. Quick, quick anecdote. Over Christmas, I was in Toronto with uh, my mother-in-law, Tiff's mom, who is alone, so we were allowed to go there. I happened to have a smoothie from Rorschach um, that I brought with me, and I was just drinking stuff and putting them in the Canadian fridge, just chucking it on the balcony when I wanted things to get cold because it's Christmas, the fridge was full. And I left that smoothie beer in like a cooler in the living room for 10 days for the most part and it was fine. So I think that like the ticking time bomb thing is, you know, can, can happen, but you've removed that factor. Is that correct by the pasteurization? Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we, we let beers sit uh, for like 30 days at 30 degrees or 40, 50 days and like didn't see any problems with them. Obviously, there could be variability through, through the, the – you know, through the process, like maybe one can or any, any of them that are going to go, if we have a poor seam or something, it pops when it's being heated. So we are, we are putting through the stress up front. Um, but, uh, to speak to your point though, of leaving a beer in a cooler like that, there's, there's probably, I'm sure that only like one in a thousand people have this problem with those smoothie beers, but I still don't want to get that email. I don't want to be angry about it. And I just trying to be responsible with it, but um, the other thing that can happen, though, is it, the can may not explode, but it might be a gusher when you open it, or like the carb is going to be super high, which may not be what the brewery intended. The, 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 the taste may not be what they wanted. The sweetness may be lower as a result, right? Like so, you're you're you know you're not tasting the beer necessarily as it was intended if you've let that happen to it. So, you know, that, there's that angle to it, too. right? But at least and to uh, to expand ahead. on something that uh, like that Craig was saying with it being more unique than some uh, like than some other smoothie beers with it being uh, like you know a barrel aged sour instead of uh, like instead of a berliner or a quick kettle sour kind of thing is that like even though it's a smoothie and there's a bunch of like unfermented fruit uh, like fruit puree in it it still tastes very much like a small pony beer like yes. it's one of those things of like like it tastes like a small pony sour like like you know it like you know it immediately which is something that like that is very special about it in my mind, yeah, well, the oak the oak comes through a little bit, and and so you, you definitely get that 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 small pony thing. Absolutely. Sure. Well, the other thing I think that that comes through probably is that 
um, if, if a brewery is making a kettle soured beer to use as the base for one of these, they're not, I don't think that beer is going to be as sour to start with. Like we have very bracingly sour barrels here and we can pick from those because we know that we're going to be diluting it way down with fruit and we're still going to have a sour beer at the end. Like it's, you know, the pH might not be 3.1, it might be 3.4, but you know, some people, if they're starting a kettle soured, they only get down to 3.6 or 3.5 or 4 anyways. So we're like, we're starting with something that at the end of it, it's still going to be something that tastes like a sour beer that, that we would make probably. So, so it's, 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 it's pretty fun. I'm, I'm excited to experiment a bit more with them, but again, we're just not set up to produce cans. Like we've talked about how we could change the process to do it. Like I'd, I'd probably have to talk to one of these breweries that's already making one of these in terms of like, if I were to just take a tank and fill it with beer and put like a thousand liters in a tank and then throw three or 400 liters of fruit puree into it, how do you keep that uniform? Like, do you have to keep it stirring the whole time you're, you're packaging it? Like there's those questions, right? Like, do you end up with a beer that a can that's just 80% fruit and one that's mm. 10% fruit at the end? Like, I'm, I'm not sure like how to answer those questions. So I don't think we'll be doing it in a large scale soon. Um, also yeah. like no companies want to deal with all the wild bacteria and yeasts and stuff in our facility. So um, we'll probably just yeah. be doing them by hand. We do them and, Maybe we'll do them once a month for a little while. And, yeah, I love that. that we do. Yeah, this is a crazy labor-intensive process, though. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, we also don't, don't want to be spending 20% of our time making 5% of the beers we could produce. But <laughs> Yeah, I can understand. Yeah. Being, I mean, as long as you're making enough money to make it worthwhile, I guess. But it's if you, even if you think about it, that – just the fact that it sells out so quick, that generates some hype. That means it's, it's very likely going to lead on to add-on sales for your other products as well. So they'll come in and be like, "Yo, give me a four-pack of the smoothie, but oh, I'm here. Let me get some some jam hands and blah, 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 like all your regular stuff. So like I feel like nope, most people – It is an approachable beer and I think, uh, yeah, like you say, it, it, anything that, you know, that we can do that would have people – you know, uh, like I said, discoverability is our biggest uh, hurdle, basically. So if anybody gets one of these, they will, um, you know, hopefully take a look and see what else we do. That's it, man. <laughs> and like, and the fact that you're, you know, if you do a few other variants and make them fun, just like your lineups here, are like fun as fuck, and you've got really cool, thoughtful, creative, um, you know, beers all the time. Everything you've ever done mm -hmm. is really in that line. So. If you just apply it, if you do what you normally do to the smoothies, it's going to keep people coming back because I think it's dope that you've done three batches already of the same um, fruits because you're only going to nail it better and better every time. But then you're, all right, you try these fruits and like you said, a bit of vanilla and a bit of this and that. Like that's, you know, whatever. If that's what will get people coming back in, that will help the discoverability because it's the hype right now. It's what all the kids want, you know whatever it's something and the fact you're already doing it and you got a cool ass brand uh behind it as well and it's just so like like it's, it's jarring for the people who already know you and maybe hadn't uh sought out your stuff from it like yo like they're doing this smoothie that looks like this some brand that i'm familiar with and there's got all of these in and every month it's coming back and, he, and it's in a can like what's happening here and it's the only barrel aged you know, the only smoothie that's made with barrel aged sour beer that and that's why it's an expensive can because look what it's made with. People are like, yeah, I want that because none of the all the other stuff like I was saying is a two week, four week old Berlinois. So you're differentiated yourself very strongly from from the beginning. I think one of the other interesting, like just just speaking uh, about 
about it is that uh, um, we've all, just based on the kind of beers we've made here over the last few years, I think we're in a pretty good position to 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 do these kind of blending experiments because, like, this kind of beer is blending things with beer. That's that's basically yes. what it is: taking other things and blending them with a beer. And uh, we've done forty nine of those so far. Uh, and you know, like, or I think it's forty. I think I looked online. Um, so we, we've got a lot of experience with taking flavors and, and understanding how they work together and how they work after they go into a beer. And not, like, like that's kind of what we do. I'd say, I think I looked and something like two thirds or three quarters of our beers have been fruit beers in the past. So we've got a good, we've got a good, and we've got like a good, uh, like I can go to the blue book right here, which is all of our blends that we've ever done. And we can just like revisit them all and say like, do you think this would work if we didn't ferment out the sugars from that fruit? Like, so that's what this right. kind of lets us do. This kind of pasteurized beer, I look at it as two things. It's like, first off, it's a fun little trendy thing to do. But secondly, it's it's a way for us to learn um, a new process, like learn what does our beer do in cans. Because we're going to can one of these beers at the end of the month, but we're also going to at the same time try packaging one of our other beers into a can just to see like, does THP develop? Like what, what kind of flaws can pop out of that can and like, compare it in six months to a beer that was in a bottle and just, just kind of like learn what would happen if we did do a beer in a can one day yeah. or, you know, like, so, so we're looking at it as a learning uh, experience. Obviously we're like everything in the brewery goes against how to make this kind of beer. Um, we don't have a cold room, so we can't keep the beers cold. And that's kind of what you want to do with a beer. We don't have um, uh, a bright tank that carbonates beer. We package all of our beers still, this is a beer that's going in a can, so you want to have it carbonated ahead of time. Um, you know, like everything about this, we've had to borrow equipment. We've had to find a new way to do something. So it's been just, that's why I say it took us six months of experiments after getting dared to do this to find a way to do it. But it's certainly not a way, like if we said, oh, geez, that beer sold really well. Let's just switch to making that beer a lot. It's not something we can do. So Right. Would it be something you could What about? Go uh, what about uh, smoothie blenderama? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets together with a bunch of few fruit purees and a bunch of your sour beers, and you Yo. blend them all. <laughs> Take my I know it's money. Not physically possible. We just need the pandemic to be sort of over. Uh, to do that. Yep. <laughs> or you that, do it. No, Chris is never going to speak to you again. <laughs> yeah, it's his problem. Fuck, he has to get on board. Chris, Chris from Hops and Brews is not uh, not on board for the uh, the smoothies. He's the only one, and he needs to just get over it. I love him to death. He just needs to relax and just embrace the fucking smoothies because it's not going anywhere. And if Sean does it, I feel like, come on, man, come on, come on. Yeah, but you could do, yo, you could do. That I know Noah, you were fucking around, but you could actually do some sort of virtual blenderama where if you had enough of your team there, that like you could sort of take it one, you know, have people on Zoom, like, all right, Gavin, here we go. What do you need? And you're like, yo, get this. And you're like, all right, how much you want? Blah, blah. And you could like do it for him or the different, you know what I'm saying? And, and work through it. It'd probably be a lengthier, maybe less fun process. But at the end of the day, the, the same end result is there. And then you just have a smoothie version of that. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, who? That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I think like it could work. Uh, Eric from uh, La Clandestine in uh, Gatineau over here. He uh, 
he sent me a photo on Instagram like two years ago of it was our I think it was our first club beer that we ever did. It was called uh, Hint of Things to Come. It was like a blend of like wine beers and uh, passion fruit and such like that. And he had taken one of these like twenty dollar bottles and put it in the blender with some fruit. <laughs> like he had passion fruit and mango puree and this and that. And he just like took this and he was making these at the restaurant for somebody. Like he just basically took this nice beer and just you know did what he did. He made a cocktail out of it with fruit. Cocktail, yeah. And I was like, oh, geez, well, I, I, I'm sure it tasted awesome, but, like, that's, that seems like a really sacrilegious thing. To, it's like what I said, like, going and taking a Cantillon and just, you know, throwing a bunch of beer, like, making a beer cocktail out yeah. of, like, a hard-to-get expensive yeah, yeah, yeah. beer or whatever, right? And, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that was the first time I saw someone try to do But he said smoothies are going to be all the, all the rage. Give it another year, right? Okay. Like, these beer yeah. cocktails. He called I've it. got a couple of ideas that nobody's done yet, so I'm going to try those. Soon. But not smoothies, but something. <laughs> it's so dope. Uh, Nancy says, yes, I'm in totally mango and then some other shit. So I'm saying, <laughs> I'm telling you, bro, like Noah's onto something with this idea. Like, uh, I feel like... Uh, I think so. And no one, like the blender rama idea period is, is fantastic. Yeah, that so, was amazing. And just imagine, like, I know you're fucking around, but, like, that is a real thing. The smoothie idea is so good, bro. Like, I love it. I love it. I feel like it could work. We'll talk. Maybe. Yeah. 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 We'll talk. Almost no like a, just sell a beer that comes with a whole bunch of flavors in the box. Like, yeah. you, buy, you buy four beers and it also comes with, like, eight different you know, ounces of fruit juice in your, or whatever. And you get to kind of make up your own thing. It's like that. Yeah. That'd be pretty dope. Like, cause I know that the fruit puree is crazy expensive. It's like 250 bucks a box it, from what I'm told. It'd be, it'd be like going to the LCBO, you know, when you buy that one bottle of rum and it comes with a different bottle stuck to yeah. the neck of it. Yeah. 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 We'd have eight bottles on the neck. Different things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, or like, I mean, stepping away from the, the smoothie thing for a second. Why? Uh, <laughs> but 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 um you know you were talking about having that 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 uh, thanksgiving case there but doing your own thing with it. or was it christmas or thanksgiving, thanksgiving or whatever yeah. but anyway um if you wanted to during the pandemic you want to do some kind of virtual blenderama you could do something similar to that if if in some way you could bottle even smaller bottles or something and then you, you'd ship it as like i don't know a hundred dollar case Everyone at home gets on the Zoom. Say you max it out at I don't know thirty or something, or even even more, and then everyone like does what they did in person, but uh, virtually. Dude, that's, that's <laughs> yo the, the virtual events like that's something I don't know if we've talked about it with you guys, but I've been uh, uh, we were just on Nickelbrook did a series of virtual events last year, and they were fantastic. And Tiff and I were guests to host on one of the ones in just before New Year's in December. Um, super, uh, super well executed. They send out the boxes to people. They have a few hundred, like 300 people join up. It's, it's actually like those events are super fun. So like that idea is actually extraordinarily viable. And the thing is that, that this shit obviously isn't going anywhere, uh, in both provinces, you know, for quite some time, like no matter what anybody says, this is not getting fixed. Everyone's crazy right now. It's just a whole strange world. So I feel like these type of uh, executions are going to be happening and, and, and popular, not, not just like for another few months, but like for another 12 to 24 months. 
So like, you know, there's this and even even if thing, even if we snapped our fingers in two months and everything was exactly how it was, I think there's still going to be something that comes out of the idea of virtual stuff in general, because you know, like for me, like you inv invited me to a couple of those uh, to your blenderamas, but like I barely see my kids during the week because I'm 12 hours downtown and back every day, and like and I gotta go to Ottawa, like so I couldn't make it. But if you know, like I think there's something to be said about you know, what will happen yeah. in the future as a result of this. I agree. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, like in terms of virtual events, I think uh, as a plug, I'm a uh, uh, craft, craft beer market asked me to uh, participate in a, like a brewmaster's dinner on Valentine's day. So there's going to be uh, uh, the craft beer market in Toronto and Ottawa are both hosting an event where they're going to do a food pairing and such when we're going to buy the beer for that. But like those kinds of things are great. I've uh, Brew Donkey, who's who runs the tour uh, brewery tour company, put together a series of virtual tours as well through the because they've obviously been hammered by this kind of uh, by the lockdowns and everything. So we put together a package where you know the brewery would send bottles to everybody's house. They would get gift certificates. They would get all the stuff, and then you had like a dedicated. Uh, event where you could chat with the brewer and, and kind of have that sort of in-person experience that we usually have when they visit breweries, but do it from your couch, right, or from from home. So that that was that was kind of nice. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, virtual events when you have to actually get the beer into people's hands. Uh, That's where it gets challenging. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like it's only challenging if you're going into province, obviously, because then there's the legal ramifications. Yeah. But otherwise, like the way that I've seen other breweries do it, they just pre-sell a certain, like, whatever. This is the box for the event. Here's what it is. Blah, blah, blah. And it's it's super straightforward. And Zoom lets you do everything. Like the ones that Nickelbrook had had, like, three live bands, a comedian. And it was, like, oh, wow. flawless. I was like, oh, this is going to be... It's going to be challenging for them, but they'd done five at that point and they'd sort of figured it out. And ha luckily the bands that were performing had been doing their own live events. So they had their side figured out already. So it was quite seamless just changing between it. And and, and I'd participated in, mo like we only spoke at one, but we had watched and, and seen the other ones. And it was just like the box arrives the day before, two days before, you chuck them bitches in the fridge, boom, boom, you're good to go. Like it was such a pleasant experience every time and i'm like okay i've seen other people do it but i feel like you have a uh, like kind of what noah was saying you have such a, an opportunity because of your the uniqueness of what you do and then you're already doing the cool ass events like blender rama so if you can find some sort of way to make that work there's there's a huge opportunity i think for you. well the exchange brewery in niagara put on uh, they've done a yearly event called sour palooza where they invite you know like uh eight or nine or ten breweries to come down and uh and participate in that uh beer festival this year they actually did it virtually so all the breweries sent their beer to them and they put together boxes to send out to everybody who bought tickets and there was like a, a whole afternoon of uh of uh sort of zoom in, you know, meet meetups. Everybody had their beers. The brewers were on the chat too, so it was it was pretty close to the the, the actual event without you know having a bunch of people near you, which yeah. is what we don't want. Exactly right. Yeah, and yeah, and really on, cool. on that note, the reason why when we started doing these, this is episode forty one. So we've been doing this since March, I think, 
um, of the podcast and some of them we did a few episodes a week. And what I realized at first we were just Tiff and I, or then I have Noah on or have Nate on and just some friends. We're just fucking around. And then I just started talking to breweries. I'm like, yo, you want to do this? Cause I never wanted to do it this way. I can't like the idea of this was super like whack to me before. I want to come see you. I want to get to film the place, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that because of these virtual events, the one thing that makes us feel like we're in the same room is that we're all drinking the same thing. So we can look at the product. We all holding the bottle. We're all sampling it and it's, it ties it together and the virtual events do that so well. And that's why I think these podcasts are better when we have the same beer and I've made it kind of a thing that when we do it, we have to have the same beer. And it's, it's because exactly what you said, it achieves the same goal as the, uh, as if I went there and we were sitting next to you and we're drinking the same thing, but we just happened to be doing it this way. Yeah, that's, it's true. This feels a lot like just hanging out with four dudes around a table. Like that's, yeah. that's what we used to do. The, my friends in town here, like the home brewers, we, we used to get together every couple of weeks on a, and you know, make wings and, uh, and just sit, everybody brought beers and we'd share them. You brought your home brew, you'd share them. You brought all the lambics you had and you, sh- you know, whatever. And, uh, for, for a couple of months, I think after the pandemic started, they started doing it virtually on zoom. Like you just say like, Hey, it's Friday night at eight o'clock, hop on. We're just going to hang out and drink beers and, and shoot the shit. Right. So that's, it works. It works. It works yeah. fine. It does, man. It's a, uh, it's, it's an idea. We have a couple of questions for you. So Drew, Drugi nine says bitters in the sour or not? Nah? Uh, I don't know what he's referring to. Is he referring to like the bitters, like the drink mixing thing or yeah. like bitter I, things? I, I think so. my guess. Yeah, same. I think because we were talking if about we're cocktails talking about, before maybe. Yeah. Oh, like cocktails. Okay. So if you're talking about that, I've, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not super experienced in bitters and what drinks they end up getting used in, but I am familiar with Jägermeister and that I believe is kind of like in the same flavor ballpark as a lot of these bitters, right? Like with all the, you know, concentrated herbal components and stuff. Um, we've played around with spruce tips a little bit, but I, I, I really would like to try and recreate something that's in the same vein as like a Jagermeister and do like kind of a nice wintry, minty, like with all of those fun flavors. But if you're talking about bitter things, uh, like, you know, uh, well, hops are one thing, but bitter and sour just don't go together at all. It's like a clashing flavor. Kind of yeah. like I, I never have been a fan of grapefruit growing up because I feel like it has that bitter and sour together kind of quality. But like if I've ever mixed the beer together, we've done some experiments in making a sour IPA. Sour IPA, like we're not making IPAs here, but we've always talked about collaborating with a brewery that's uh, really known for their nice IPAs and, uh, and putting together a sour version of that. Most of the breweries, when they make a sour IPA, they're just basically making a kettle sour beer and then finishing it like they would an IPA. So they're not the same um, as as if you could somehow make an IPA sour. They're they're close. We've always talked about trying to do one where we create like a hazy New England IPA, but it's also got a barrel aged sour blended. Like so, basically, two breweries coming together, making the two beers that they excel at, and trying to blend them together. And I've done this experiment with a couple people where we take an IPA and a sour, one of ours, and mix them together. And if you get the proportions wrong, your mouth just waters, like, you know, like when you're sick and you, you're going to throw up in, in a minute and your oh, mouth starts doing that water. Oh, like you do get I that have... kind of weird feeling when you mix bitter and sour together. 
It's yeah. just not, not nice. So like, you know, um, that's why doing chocolate is difficult, but, uh, and that's why doing hops in the, you know, in a beer, like making an IPA that's actually a sour IPA is difficult because it's just like a clashing flavor thing. Uh, but actually using bitters like the, you know, the drink mixing bitters, that's a fun idea. And that's very easy to do because I have the bitters at home and I have the sour beers at home. And all you got to do is put them in a glass and see what it tastes like. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's sick. But I using it, it like maybe would be a smoothie beer with bitters in it. <laughs> Yo, I mean, that's like even like the Angostura stuff because I feel like, you know, I wonder if there's a way to do it aside from that, like giving it itself. But like I like the idea of blending the styles. It's uh, it's super, super sick. Um, Nancy also says, I remember when I was at Blenderama and Sean looked at my measurements and he said, we don't have that much mango extract. If I use your recipe, no one else can use it. And I was like, please. That's great. <laughs> Nancy, uh, she took all the, the mango. Way the, the way we do the blender, I mean, we give everybody like these eyedroppers and little syringes and like a whole bunch of mixing cups and glasses of all the different beers to play with. And then we get out like 15 or 20 different herbal teas or extracts like that we have like just a sample kit of extracts from Amoretti or something like that. Um, and uh, we just let people go nuts with it. And, and, and Nancy mixed up a beer that used like and we give everybody like a recipe sheet for them to like write down the recipes and scratch them off and start over and stuff. And when they come back and say like, all right, in 50 milliliters of beer, I put 10 drops of mango extract and three milliliters of this and what, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then we have to scale that recipe up to like three liters or four liters or whatever it is. And I was like, well, Nancy's beer is going to need like 150 milliliters of mango extract. And the bottle that comes in is only a hundred mils or something like it was something like that. And it's like, do you think we we might be able to dial it back a bit, maybe? Uh, but yeah, she used it all. We just said, I said, like she said, I said, well, if we use all that, we're gonna not have any more for anyone. So we ended up using it all. We used as much as we could, uh, <laughs> and it worked out. It was a very mango. Hey, mango lavender is still pretty cool. I just like the whole concept, like the lavender with the fruit. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah man. No, it's beautiful. Um, did we have anything else we want to touch on, boys? Or are we, we looking at we're almost three hours. We've done pretty well. Yeah. Um, pretty good chat. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, Sean, this has, been, this has been great, man. I'm glad we got to touch on yeah. the, the club and the, the smoothies, obviously, which was the most important part. Um, and it's been great to just like hang out because it has been a while since we've all like uh, – I don't think any of us have been in the same room together with, uh, with you, which is nice. So it's all been uh, – this is great. Um, first of all, starting with Sean, where can everyone find you online? I've already put a part of it there, right there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a uh, smallponybarrelworks.com is our, uh, website and that's where our online store lives. And we are shipping beer, uh, across Ontario. We are delivering beer for free in the Ottawa area. So anywhere within like half an hour to an hour's drive of where we are, I, I drive beer out at least twice a week. Um, you can pick up beer here still. We're still considered essential, so we are still open. Of course, there's no drinking really. Like we haven't had our tables set up in nine months or ten months. But uh, but yeah, you can always order online or pop in in person and, uh, and pick up bottles. Um, I would say you could also find our beers at the LCBO. We have uh, a couple beers usually kicking around. Um, we don't go like province wide at the LCBO. We kind of pick and choose, and we're I think you find our beers in maybe about fifty stores in Ontario. Um, maybe less, maybe more. I'm not sure. It's something like that. Um, we do have a spring release coming up for the LCBO in the small bottles. It's Bomb the Sun, which is our dry hopped apricot beer, which went really well last year. Like everybody loved it. It sold out very fast. 
Um, and uh, yeah, if you're in another province, you can always reach out to me and we might be able to find, like you might be in a province where I actually have an importer and we do send beer to, or there might be, I, I have a feeling there are some provinces that are actually allowing shipments in, like maybe Manitoba or something like, I think I heard this from someone, whereas other breweries that are shipping beer in between provinces right now are kind of like, I think they have an inkling that the law is going to change soon, so they're just kind of jumping the gun a bit. But uh, generally, you can't ship beer in between provinces, only wine and cider. Um, but uh, we're working on it. Um, you know, I've been sending beer to Europe recently, actually, which is interesting. That's a good fun thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we've sent beer to BC. Uh, if you're in Quebec, um, we do have something coming to the SAQ this year. I don't know exactly when. It might be the spring. It might be later. Uh, but uh, if you do like cherry beers and creeks and Flanders reds and things like that, there might be some showing up there in the next few nice. months. Uh, I've done my French labels. Uh, so, yep. I love it. I love it. Noah, where can everyone find you? Um, well, you can find me at beersm.ca and on Instagram as well and Facebook. And uh, when we do do the smoothie blenderama, we're going to call it Smooth Operator. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about this, Sean. We, you might need some hosts. That's all I'm saying. We have smoothie enthusiasts right here. Um, Nathan, <laughs> where can everybody find you, bro? All right, so Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, it's at Nathan Does Beer. You can also find uh, my blogs at baospodcast.com slash blog. Or uh, for a quick link to all of my blogs, nathandoesbeer.com will, di- uh, like, will direct you to that. Oh, I love that. I forgot that you did that. that we're on top of our website, we're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as well. The handle is Small Pony Barrel Works usually, except on Twitter, it doesn't fit, so it's small pony beer. I love it. <laughs> this is so much handier having this. I love this having this shit here, right? Because people can't fuck up. Um, thank you, all you three, you guys. This was fantastic. And yo, thank you to everyone who watched. This was one of the highest watched episodes we've had in a while, which means you're very fucking popular, Sean. Um, we had fantastic comments. Nancy, Chad, Tim has come through. Chris, uh, you guys were awesome. Just asking really fantastic questions the whole time. I genuinely appreciate it because this is what why I love the lives because there's always dope conversation that comes from it. Um, so, yes, thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Chad. Tim, he said he found a small pony beer in Oshawa. What a time to be alive when I bought that. Damn right. Um, thank you guys for hanging out. So, everyone, if you enjoyed the episode – no, hang on. Is that I'm right? I forgot. I haven't done this for a while. Yeah, if you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below, hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast everywhere, BAOSpodcast.com. We'll be back next Friday, probably 8 or 9 p.m. or something like that. You know the drill. Um, that is it, guys. We'll see you next week. Oh, shit. Do you know what? Just before we wrap up, yep, the, the thumbnail. Thank you, Nathan. So if you could uh, hold up some beers there, guys, and we'll take a little thumbnail. See, this is this is why I need help because I forget this shit. You got the check them all. You got that. You got the smoothie. I'll get the bees. You got yeah. the bees. I, I got the bees, and I got difficulty. Boom! You all ready? Oh, that is just gorgeous. That is just stunning. Oh my gosh! Look at us all. Oh my gosh! So hot, boys. Uh, stick around just to the end of it, um, and we'll uh, everyone will see you in the next episode. Peace.